VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Monday, April the 11th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly. Fonce King is sitting in the producer's chair today. Let's get the week off to a flying start. That can only happen if you join us live on the air to discuss a topic of your choosing. So if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue is 273-5211. Or elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. So a bit of a frosty morning here in the city of St. John's this morning, but lots of wintry weather in other parts of the province. So spring hasn't actually really fully kicked in as of yet. Still a bit frigid out there. Anywho, let's get it going. Well, it is into Monday with a couple of sports notes. Why don't we? Big news over the weekend. The McDonald Drive Junior High Grade 9 basketball team, boys basketball team, won the provincial championship. MVP of the tournament, Ben Collingwood. Why do I start the show with that? He's my nephew. <laughs> Way to go, Ben. Bravo. He's had a great run at the sports MVP for the boys in grade 9 provincials. Love it. All right, and so we didn't get the results we wanted last night at the Men's World Curling Championships in Las Vegas. Team Gouju, they drop an 8-6 decision to Sweden's Nicholas Adin. Now, for Adin, that's his fourth straight world championships on top of the Olympic gold medal he just won. He has six world championships in total. So no shame in coming up short. Silver medal it is. You know, it's both teams play the same ice. But I think there's pretty serious questions to be asked about the locale for these types of championships. The weather in Vegas doesn't exactly make it conducive to the hard, perfect ice that the this type of elite-level curlers are used to. You know, they talked about it was a bit more resemblant of some poor club ice. And as I said, both teams had to play on the exact same surface. So there you go. But it is the end of an era at that level of curling for Team Guzhu. Now, they got a couple of slams yet to go. But with Brett Gallant leaving... It does indeed shake up what has been an extraordinary 10-year run. Four briars together, a world championship, a couple of silvers, an Olympic bronze. So they've really knocked it out of the park in the recent past. And they must be absolutely physically and emotionally exhausted at this moment in time. But a silver medal it is for Team Guzhu down in Vegas at the Worlds. Lots of stuff on the go over the weekend. Uh, Mount Pearl, Junior Blades, they beat CBN, Conception Bay North. In Game 7 to take the title. So bravo to them. Uh, uh, Pardon me, Riley Petten was in the Nets for CBN. 64 saves, unfortunately in a loss. Uh, Jack Keogh's played in playoff MVP. His junior career is now over. Congratulations to the Blades. And the Growlers dropped a 5-4 decision to Cincinnati Cyclones yesterday. But they, you know, we're celebrating 30 years of pro hockey here in the city. And there was a video tribute to the late, great Chris Abbott. Of course, the life of Buddy the Puffin. And standing ovation... Really an emotional time, but the Growlers dropped a close one there yesterday. You want to talk about it? We can do it. So there's lots of provincial minor hockey tournaments over the weekend. Congratulations to all who participated, and yes, especially those who came out on top as the champions. And what looked like to be a massive event and really well organized was the Royal Newfoundland Regiment High School Hockey Tournament that took place over the last week as well, and that was a massive success. Congratulations to all involved in that effort. And one last note on the old hockey Bob Cole, of course, it's no surprise. Last night was awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award by the Academy of Canadian Cinema and Television. His broadcast career started right here, VOCM, back in 1954. In 1969, he started to call NHL games on the radio. He eventually moved into the TV broadcast in 1973. How many times did we tune in to hear the great Bob Cole from the gondola at Maple Leaf Gardens? Fittingly, his last pro game was in uh, 2019 between the Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens. 
Bob Cole, one of the absolute legends of the sport. Okay, just a very quick note today in history. The Apple One personal computer was first created in 1976, and it's been downhill ever since. Okay. So one of the major moves that the provincial government made last week in the budget, and this was recommended in the Green Report, was to consolidate the four regional health authorities into one. It might be a good idea, but like most things inside the budget, it takes a while for the details to come forward, for the conversation to develop, because it's fine to talk about these things in the big grand scheme of things, but to not know how it's going to work really does make it confusing. And I saw one listener note there last week, that he doesn't understand why media outlets are so quick to try to bring you the news of the budget because of the aforementioned lack of detail in understanding exactly how things are going to work. And it's a fair point. I think we all feel compelled to deliver the information as soon as we possibly can. And I admit freely that there's so much to pour through inside a record spending of $9.4 billion that we don't have a firm grasp on it as of yet. Some of the tidbits we can absolutely talk about, and we should today. But that consolidation move. You know, you see the frontline workers, whether it be Yvette Coffee at the Registered Nurses Union, wondering what it will mean for jobs and placement of nurses. There's no reason to believe that frontline workers will be lost in this consolidation because, as we are painfully aware, the amount of overtime and stress that has been bared, borne by healthcare professionals throughout the entire gamut is very, very real, and the burnout is quite obvious. So the government says they don't see mass job losses coming here. So if it's not going to result in the efficiencies and identifying redundancies and consequently jobs may indeed be lost, whether it be some top-heavy management and or some overlaps that will be identified, it remains to be seen what the outcome will be. But that's where the details are going to be so critically important. There's also the concept of where the jobs will be. It will not be to the benefit of the people of the province if there's no one to reach out and talk to at an administerial level, if we're talking about Labrador or other remote parts of the province that do indeed have some opportunity to go to Labrador Grenfell Health or Central Health or Western Health. Will they still see that type of representation? Or do people really care? Now, they'll care if jobs are removed from their, uh, their region because the jobs or people will be also supporting the local economy. So they're big questions that are being asked, and of course, they're very real. And if you want to pose one such question or more today, we can do it. And speaking of healthcare professionals, Dr. Susan McDonald, the president of the Newfoundland Labrador Medical Association, she sounded the alarm bells again about the fact that there are going to be some health centers in different parts of the province, notably Harbour Brighton, Bay Vert, Fogo, and Buckins, that may indeed have no doctor in short order. Their doctors are leaving. St. Albans has already lost their last doctor. You know, she's calling on the government to bring forward immediate solutions. And, of course, that's a fair demand or request or concern. But the question will be, how are we even going to approach this? Now, the government has put forward a new position as a deputy minister whose sole responsibility is to recruit and retain healthcare professionals. You know, this is where the word of mouth will really play an active role. So she goes on to tell... Paint the picture where a doctor, for instance, will just go shopping at the local grocery store and have to see desperate people connecting with that doctor, asking for a prescription or for some blood work or to take on their relative under his or her patient patient roster. And that means it's been an all-encompassing, overwhelming landscape and reality for doctors in these regions. Here's where it gets complicated. Is that for doctors who may indeed, who are in high demand, will consider maybe moving to Bayvert and taking on that vacancy. But when they hear just how pressurized it has been for the doctor who's leaving, 
I don't imagine that paints a rosy picture for a replacement doctor to want to consider it. So how do we even approach this? You know, communities do play a role, and I see some of the mayors in some of these towns or surrounding communities talk about putting forward the community's best foot and being part of the active recruitment plan, like they did on Bell Island with their quote-unquote grant seduction, that didn't see a full-time doctor come, but coming for, a, a, I think it's 11-week locum, which is a good start, and you don't know what's going to become of it, but how they deal with these particular issues, especially in the delivery of healthcare, is going to be absolutely extraordinary stuff. Okay, we'll get some provincial budget matters, but now that we're on healthcare, let's talk about a couple of things that, you know, of course there has to be some spending constraint at the federal level because the spend has been astronomical over the pandemic. We know that to be true. But we also can indeed look at what's in the budget based on what the Liberal Party uh, campaigned on and promises they made, and some things simply are not there. One such note, and I think this is a big one, is that the government was talking about the creation of a, what were they calling it in particular? A Canada Mental Health Transfer. So we know that that issue has been front and center throughout the entirety of the pandemic, and it's absolutely real, but that money did not appear in the budget. And they were talking about some $4.5 billion we spent over five years. So they say they'll continue to engage with the provinces to talk about it, but here's some figures associated with the mental health uh, from the Canadian Mental Health Association. 40% of all Canadians have reported a deterioration in mental health during the pandemic. People with pre-existing health conditions represent 61%. The unemployed, 61%. People between the ages of 18 and 24, 60%. The LGBTQ community represents some 54%. That's much higher than the national average. So the attention to mental health... Now, remember, the last uh, Canada health transfer to this province, a bilateral agreement that saw the money earmarked for long-term care and mental health services. And we still have an enormous gap to fill. But that is one I think that, to a man, to a woman, would have thought that the government recognized that they talk about acknowledging that it is a problem for the people in the, pro in the country, but that particular round of monies was not there. Also, they talked about whopping big numbers for long-term care. Now, thankfully, in this province, we've done reasonably well. And I know what the isolation in people's rooms has meant, and that's been an absolute genuine concern, and we should be talking about it. But the COVID-related deaths, we have a, a massive issue in other parts of the country. Remember what it looked like in Ontario and Quebec. And the fact that some of the private ownership... Now, private ownership here has done a good job, and they've been really safe. And if you want to talk about long-term care, we can do it. But in other parts of the country, the attention that has not been given to long-term care and additional monies to ensure the health and safety and dignity of the residents in other long-term care facilities around the country, the money's not there. They also talk about there's a one-time $500 check coming out the week of April 18th here in this province uh, for on the GIS. And that's especially for low-income seniors who may indeed have been eligible for pandemic supports, but of course that went on their income and made adjustments through their GIS. So that money's going out the door. But they also promised on the campaign trail a $500 increase period to the guaranteed income supplement for low-income seniors, $750 for uh, couples. That was almost $4.2 billion worth of spend. It's not there. They also talked about, and we just mentioned it, about the numbers of healthcare professionals that uh, we're trying to replace here in the country. They talked about spending some $3.2 billion for the provinces and territories in an effort to hire 7,500 new family doctors, nurses, and nurse practitioners. That's not there. 14.5% of the population of Canada, that's about 4.6 million people, do not have a regular healthcare provider. 
Now, they did put forward $2 billion to deal with surgical backlogs. Our cut of that is some $27 million. How that gets spent, I have no earthly idea. But that's just a couple of issues that there was promises on the campaign trail, which we know. Promises are promises. Until they're kept, they're simply that. And those are just a couple of areas. And yes, I acknowledge quite clearly that the need for controlled spending after the hundreds of billions of dollars of deficits that we've seen in the last two, three years is obviously part of getting back to action. And the deficit is much less than it has been in years past, but still big numbers associated with it. All right, let's move back to the province and talk about our budget. So they talk about striking a balance, and of course that's always the way it's got to be. And we don't have a scarcity of funds, we have a problem with distribution. So a year or so ago, there was talk that we may indeed some uh, see some austere moves, some real cuts to spending. That didn't come to pass. It's a recommending amount of money being spent in this particular budget for the coming fiscal year, some $9.4 billion. My email inbox is absolutely flooded, inundated, with people who are disappointed that there wasn't attention given to the price of gasoline, diesel, home heating, fuels, and the like. You know, the minister, I, said, I think, said, you know, in some of the other cost-of-living measures that have been part of the five-point plan and additional measures in the budget, such as the cut of the retail sales tax on your home insurance for one year, 50% less in the cost of re-registering your, uh, your vehicle, whether it be your car or light, pa- light trucks and those types of things, and taxis for one year. That's all right. I, she says, I believe that all of those programs or cuts or relief packages tally some one, uh, $146 million. I wonder what the price tag associated with maybe removing HST from home heating fuels, for instance, which I think is where a lot of people focus their attention on some of the cost of living issues. So I wonder what the forecasted price tag had that been done. Now, I suppose when they look at the calendar, and here we are in spring, and hopefully it'll warm up, and consequently we'll be able to turn down our thermostats a little bit, maybe that's part of the thought on that front, but that's one of the concerns that is certainly widespread throughout my email inbox. How are we doing out there, David? Or Fonce, sorry. I just get so used to calling out Dave. All right. This is a curious one. Now, we talk about the whole path towards regionalization and however that's going to work. And there's lots of concerns being voiced, especially by representatives and residents of local service districts. On Fogo Island, this could not have been an easy decision entertained by the council and the leadership, Mayor Andrew Shea and his council, about getting the province to bring in a mediator to talk about a tax dispute between the Fogo Island Inn and the town. So... Yes, everyone has to pay their taxes, even if you have been part of uh, the economic upside on Fogo Island. All right. So, of course, Fogo Island Inn, they rely pretty much all of the reliance. Some 96% 96 of their guests come from out of province, and some big stars have stayed. They're good for them. They've agreed to a $200,000 15-month payment plan to the town, but there's an outstanding... $57,000, $57,000, that is in dispute, and a mediator brought in to talk about it. Shorefast and their defense say that they have paid $700,000 in taxes since 2011. They employ some 255 residents. They've paid up some $5.8 million in salaries, which is all good. And this could not have been an easy decision. Apparently, the council was actually in the process of cutting off the water to the hotel. So I get it. I get the town. Hey, these are monies that we need to be, see you pay. And I also understand hotel concerns, same with airlines and airport authorities, with all the travel bans that were in place. There's a reason why the hotel was empty and taking on millions of dollars in losses, trying to stay whole. So when the restrictions were lifted, 
they'd be able to get back to business, keep all the workforce on the on the pay payroll, and they've got this racket going on. So it's not something I can avail of. And there's reason why some 96% of their guests are high rollers from elsewhere. The cheapest hotel room inside the beautiful Fogo Island Inn is $2,575 a night. The Sunset Suites, $5,075 a night. And they don't even list the price for the Flat Earth Suite. You have to request that number. I can only imagine that comes with a pretty heavy tag. All right, just quickly, and just for the purpose of information, and I think there's some encouraging signs when they updated the province's COVID hub on Friday. So hospitalizations dropped by six. And we were told we have to look at that as one of the key measures, and I suppose that's what they use in the modeling. So that means 41 people are in the hospital as of Friday. I wish them all a speedy recovery. The uh, critical care went from nine down to five, also good news. Unfortunately, there was two additional deaths being reported. Brings it the total to 124. There's been 14 so far this month already in April, and condolences to the family. So that's just some of the info. And I would still wonder what kind of information people would like to have in front of them so they can make decisions on where they go, what they do, you know. Anyway, that's just for your information. No, nothing more, nothing less. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. You can follow us there. Our email address is openline.vocm.com, but you know me. We're going to get a tune going. Before we come back, just mention travel. It was today in 1977 that the Steve Miller Band released the single Jet, Air- Jet Airliner. Now, you have to, if you're a radio station, going to play Jet Airliner. You have to play some of the intro, if not all of the one minute five of Threshold before you get to Jet Airliner. Let's hear the tune. When we go back, we'll be speaking with you. Don't go away. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Just another quick hockey note. Uh, tomorrow night at the Jack Byrne Arena, Game 7 in the Avalon East Senior Hockey League, St. John's Caps and the Clarenville Caribou. There you go. All right. Uh, where am I going? Good morning, Dave. On line number two, you are on the air. Good morning, Patty. morning. Dave Kane here. Patty, first of all, like congratulations to Gujo and his rink was a hard loss to lose, Patty. Yeah, it was tough on there. Up 4-3 at the break, dropping 8-6 yeah. decision, and I get it. He was really quite cross about the condition of the ice, and it looked uh, pretty motley out there for that elite level of curling, but as I mentioned, both teams on the same ice. Yeah, that's true, Patty. Anyhow, Patty, uh, my name is Dave Kane from sure. Seymour Crossing, 
and I'm calling to comment on the good news that was in the budget for Bay St. George, as George, and especially for the town of Steamboat Crossing. Patty, the former college of the North Atlantic campus in Steamboat Crossing, is to become the new courthouse plus motor registration division and other government services. Well, you know, every any time where the government has a, a piece of property, a building that they can repurpose for some, some useful measures, then good news because we've got an awful lot of these assets sitting around that are empty, got to keep the heat on, got to pay insurance. So to repurpose this one on this front sounds like good news to me. So and not I, only that, Patty, I've been fighting for years, and that building in Stephenville, Patty, it wasn't wheelchair accessible, and the building's 70 years old, and if you had to go to court and you're disabled, the government had to hire... Uh, the uh, hotel in Stimul, so more cost to the taxpayers, Patty. Sure, I think they're spending some $8.5 million for this repurposing yeah. or renovations, whatever's required to turn it into courthouse and other government services. So, yeah, I'm sure that's very good news for the region. And, and, and Patty, before I go, i especially like to take Scott Reed, MHA for St. George's Hummer, for all the work he put into it to get this done, and especially to his assistant, Vanessa Muse. A constitutionary assistant to to Scott. She's the one who put a lot of work into that, Patty. And I was working with her on behalf of Scott for years for when they got in government. And Vanessa called me when the, when the college closed there a couple of years ago. She knew I was always fighting for this. And so I wrote former Premier Dwight Ball, and i got to give my hat, hats off to Dwight Ball, too, because he got sent a letter back to me and he, he, he got Steve Crocker, who was Minister of Transportation, then to, uh, to thank me and, and tell me, citizens like me, he says, that we need them to fight for something that needs to be done to save taxpayers' money, Patty. Well, uh, fighting a good fight, sometimes you get the result. Dave, I appreciate the time yeah, and the call this morning. Before I go, I forgot one more thing. I'd like to pray, uh, uh, thank uh, Premier Fury, too, because he had a big involvement in this besides. As long as it worked out, it's all good for me. Thanks for the time, Dave. Okay, thanks, Patty. Take good care. Yep, bye. All right, bye-bye. Uh, line number one, Dave as well. You're on the air. Uh, Patty, I wanted to talk to you about uh, OAS and the GIS. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the provincial government, uh, will that be on every, every month's check, or is it going to come out quarterly on your GST and HST? The increase for folks who get the seniors' benefit? Yes, sir. That I think it's going to be broken up evenly throughout the year. Yeah, I I, I ended up on uh, Facebook on the radio, and I thought I said four times a year the same thing as GST and HST. Okay, well, I mean, I don't know exactly how the divvy is. I don't remember reading it inside of the budget, but it's, it's a 10% increase, so if it's broken up quarterly, I guess it adds up to the same thing. So I think it was, now it'll be up to $1,444 annually. So some yes, 50,000 seniors are on the seniors' benefit plan. So that there you go. I'm, so if you heard it's coming out four times a year, just like the quarterly checks for GST, fair enough. Yes, uh, Patty. So will any, uh, the 175 years old and up is going to get a 10% increase as of July for uh, from the federal government? And old age security. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, so would anybody 75 and over still receive the provincial one, too? Yes. So in, in other words, they're going to receive uh, 
Yes. Only if you're on the seniors' benefit, though, here. That was part of that plan. So not everybody is on the seniors' benefit that is also getting old age security. So No, but I, I, I say some will and some won't. Yeah, if you, if you qualify for both, it doesn't rule each other out. You'll get both. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people that, that is getting both OAS and the GIS. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, 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 so the 175 and up will, will be getting a 20% increase. They will. And people have to remember, if you qualify for the guaranteed income supplement, you are an extremely low-income senior. The threshold, I think, is something like $19,000-ish. $19,880-something. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a pretty low amount of money. Uh, for yes. couples, the cutoff is just a little bit over $46,000. So, yeah, we're talking about folks bringing in very little money if they actually qualify for the guaranteed income supplement. Yeah. I, yeah, I... I know, like like you say, there's not very much money in it, and everything has gone up and everything else, like insurances and oil and gas, and you're paying 15% on everything, plus plus, but you got to pay in property tax, home insurance, and water and sewer taxes and everything else. You haven't got much to live on. Well, I mean, these increases that we'll see going out, whether it be in the province's five-point plan and a couple of additional measures taken in the provincial budget, some of the additional monies from the federal government absolutely will not cover what we've seen an increase in cost of living, no doubt. No. No, like you say, I, I follow up on that stuff pretty good, and I'm pretty under, understandable when it comes to figures and stuff like that, right? Sounds like it. Yeah, I know, because I, I've been a town councillor for years and I've been in all, all, all this stuff and figuring out all the time, right? Well, I'm glad you called on it this morning. So you're absolutely right. As of July this year, the 10% increase on old age security for those 75 years and older. And yes, the folks who receive a senior's benefit in this province, they will indeed see a 10% increase as well. Yeah, That's the right. ones that get the OAS and the GIS, you will see a 10% in the provincial one too. Four, yep. times a year, or, or four, di- four times a year. If you're on the seniors' benefit, that's absolutely yes. true. Yeah. Appreciate well, the time, Dave. Yeah, thank you very much for your time, and you have a good day. The same to you, sir. All the best. Okay. Okay, bye. All right, bye-bye. Okay, let's uh, go ahead and take a break. Uh, Mondays get off to a bit of a sluggish roll sometimes. Is this person in the queue coming on? Okay. So, and of course, we didn't mention some of the massive news that was part of the news uh, cycles last week. And, you know, it is curious that when something was so contentious and for some people in the oil and gas industry and for people looking at the provincial treasury and, yes, for those who are climate change watchers and activists or just simply concerned with what we're seeing regarding that potential catastrophe, is beta Nord. You would have thought that would have brought forward an incredibly big flashy news conference, but it didn't. You know, and maybe I spent too much time reading between the lines. It was just a news release. So we got to go ahead, or it was released from the environmental assessment, and now Equinor will make their business decision, and you know the deal. But there was no fanfare. And, of course, it came before the budgets, both provincially and federally, which has really taken some of the focus off of it, and there is no coincidence in political timing, as someone called me out on that last week. Yeah, they very carefully calculate these types of announcements, when and who and how. And on this front, nothing, it's just... Posted it online, that's it. It's been released, and off we go. And then I suppose this is where I get kind of semi-forced into reading between the lines because it came around the same 48-hour span where the CNLOPB rebranded to include energy, that may be offshore wind, for instance. And it also came with energy NL, well, that was once Noya, and that happened a week or two prior. 
It also came with uh, the amendments made to Bill 61, and of course that was the 15-year moratorium on wind power in the province. So, you know, when you put all those things together, people are, I think, justifiably wondering, what are we not being told? But we can go down those roads, too, if you're so inclined. But as you know, as frequent or uh, regular listeners to the program, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Don't go away. The Workday Winds Down with Greg Smith in the Drive. Get up to speed on the day's events and current traffic, weather, and community updates each weekday afternoon on your VOCM. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number two. Good morning, Lorraine. You're on the air. Hi, Patty. Uh, this is Lorraine O'Quinn calling from Corner Brook. I want to uh, give a big shout-out to my grandson Ethan Moore he he scored the winning goal for the, the hockey Saturday night for the Blades uh, yeah it was a double overtime penalty shot pretty pretty exciting and I want to uh, congratulate him good for him what's his name Ethan Ethan Moore Ethan Moore, boy, double overtime and you get to take the penalty shot. It actually takes a special kind of young hockey player to even want that responsibility. You know, that separates the real outstanding players from those who are not so great and can't deal with the pressure. So did he deke or shoot, do you know? Uh, well, yeah, he, he was a hard shot, you know, it, uh, it almost went through the net, you know. Little <laughs> bullet, there you go, that's a proud grandmother, almost went right through the net. Well, good on Ethan. It's, uh, They're it, off to the Atlantic yeah. in, in Moncton. That's the Don Johnson Cup. Yeah, and his his twin brother, Nicholas, also also on the team, and just wanted to wish both of them and uh, the team That's terrific. Uh, it it's exciting time for the members of the Mount Pearl Blades, and unfortunate, of course, for the uh, the CB Stars who are on the short end of it. It's hard to lose in overtime, and it brings back you know happy memories as a junior, former junior hockey player, but also some that are not so pleasant. I was on the ice in Game Seven of the Junior Finals one night against the Mount Pearl Blades, as a matter of fact where uh, Roger Hounsell, who's now a captain of the fire hall, he scored the winning goal. I was so close, I could almost reach out and grab the puck. It was just inches away from uh, my reach, and we lost in Game 7. We lost in Game 7 two years back-to-back after finishing first place overall. So just heartbreaking stories that have brought back the memory, but I'm really pleased for uh, your grandchildren. Yes, and uh, like you said in, in your uh, introduction, the other goal he made, 64 
saves or something was a tremendous game in every way. Yeah, yeah. Riley Patton, that's pretty big effort for the goaltender, yeah. but obviously Mount Pearl must have been pretty uh, stout competition to put up 64. Well, I guess, what was the final score? I can't remember if it was 4-3, 3-2, but anyway, 64 saves is yeah, a pretty impressive like the, performance. Like the way it went, I mean, it went to seven games and yeah. overtime and double overtime. <laughs> you know, Have you had a chance been... to watch the boys play, Junior? Uh, oh, yes, I, I can watch it there on the TV, yes. Oh, just watch it on TV. Have you had a chance to be in the rink and watch them live? Oh, uh, not recently, but I, I have been into uh, the Glacier and other arenas in there yeah so obviously your son or daughter moved into mount pearl or surrounding areas before uh, were they all originally from cornerbrook uh yeah tracy and darren moore okay parents. you might know them you know i think i do yeah yeah they're, yeah so anyways we're all, we're all hockey fans so are we <laughs> yeah of course and so am i and so uh, uh we want to wish the mount pearl blades nothing but the best of luck at the junior atlantics the don johnson cup when is that when does it start uh, 26, I think. Okay. Well, we wish yeah. them good luck at the Atlantics and congratulations to the boys. And I really appreciate your time as the proud grandmother this morning, Ryan. Okay, Patty. Nice speaking with you. Nice to speak with you too. Yeah. Take bye care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And uh, just another quick cocky note. I don't mind talking about a bit of sports. So, you know, I'm the furthest thing from a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, right? I'm a Montreal fan. But it is worth throwing out there that it is pretty impressive to see what Austin Matthews is doing. So he didn't score 50 goals in the first 50 games of the season, but he has scored 50 goals in his last 50 games. And things start to tighten up as people or teams are looking for playoff spots. So 50 goals in the last 50 games for Austin Matthews, natural-born goal scorer to say the least. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Mary. You're on the air. Yes, good morning. And by the way, I'm a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. <laughs> Congratulations. They clinched the playoff spot. <laughs> Yeah, uh, twice a year uh, is usually in the uh, provincial news how Newfoundlanders are uh, are at a high rate for diabetes and heart disease. Uh, uh, and uh, I'm, I've been thinking uh, years ago when I first moved back here from Ontario, I was looking for canned food with no sugar or salt. And, and the young fellow in the grocery store told me I had to go to the organic section to... Uh, <laughs> To get the uh, the canned food without the excess salt and sugar, so I told them what I'm looking for. It's uh, not organic; it's just canned food without salt and sugar. But uh, the reason for my call is just a suggestion to the major grocery stores. Uh, a lot of them have sections for organic food and international food. So uh, not a lot of people, especially seniors, know how to read the labels in regards to sugar intake, salt intake. So, you know, just a little suggestion to have a uh, a little section, uh, you know, of the grocery store where if people go to that area, they know that what they're going to get is going to be healthy for them without having to go through the trouble of reading and understanding labels. Yeah, the grocery store I go to, they have an organic section. There's also some organic products that are mixed in with, say, the produce. But, yes, they do indeed have a very distinct organic section, which I think is helpful. They do have an international aisle as well. A couple of things on the labeling. Remember those years ago when all of a sudden the, all the rage with the, uh, the companies was to label something as being light? And, of course, it didn't always necessarily be light or very different from their full-bore product. But inside the world of labeling, 
it's unfortunate that if you're really concerned and you want to read the labels, whether it be for sugar or salt or any other compound, is you need a magnifying glass. They don't make it easy to read the labels. No, they don't. And, and when I lived in Ontario, one place I shopped at was Food Basics, and all their canned food was packed in spring water. And the thing I found funny was uh, when I moved home, it was uh, probably a f- quite a few years before I could find canned food uh, packed in spring water. I had to buy frozen to make sure that I wasn't getting the, you know, uh, the excess uh, ingredients that I didn't want. And uh, But it's only here lately, like within the last maybe six or seven years, that I'm able to find, let's say, a can of kernel corn that's packed in spring water with no sugar or salt. And the other thing is, why are people paying more for the healthy, the healthy stuff when there's less ingredients? You know, it, sh- it should be uh, it sh- should be priced at a you know at a price where if people want to eat healthy, uh, you know, they should be able to afford it, right? You know, some healthy options are more expensive, but not all. And I've actually been threatening to bring on a dietitian or someone who knows more about it than I do because I think we kind of get scared out of trying to put forward a healthy menu because the overall concept is, well, I'm going to end up paying more, when that's not always necessarily true. Like even inside the vegetable world, it's remarkable the savings, yet the nutritional value of buying frozen. Like when it used to be if I made a chicken stir-fry for supper, I would just cut up the vegetables and make it the way I want with the vegetables that we like, as opposed to now what I do every single time is I buy it frozen. I save money. The nutritional value is right there. So there's ways for us to be a little bit more thrifty. I admit, I'm not always a price watcher, uh, which is unfortunate. My wife is really quite... Uh, mindful, but now I've been more so considering the explosion in the cost of my groceries. I actually look at the flyer and everything like I never used to do in the past. But the healthy option, it's its a good conversation that I really should help foster on the program by bringing someone on who can really do a lot for us. Maybe we'll get a dietitian on in the next day or so. But I mean, let's face it, everybody knows Newfoundlanders love their salt beef and their Jake's dinner. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I was over at long-term care and, you know, uh, uh, feeding people when it came to Jig's dinner Sunday, no matter what frame of mind anybody was in, they never forgot that taste of their salt meat and their peas pudding. Bit of comfort so, food. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but uh, in regards to that, uh, you know, it, it, if people can eat healthy, uh, you know, like in regards to fruits, uh, you know, ha- like in our house, we just have like main staples that are same, bananas and apples. But now every so often, depending on what's on sale, we'll change up the different fruits. So there's something different every week along with those bananas and apples. I eat bananas all the time. We pick up a box of clementines fairly often as well. The boys eat them, although my boys can go through a box of clementines like it's nobody's business. Um, but anyway, Mary, I've enjoyed the conversation. Would you like to say anything else? No, uh, just if there's anybody listening in the grocery stores there, just... Uh, be a little bit more like you know if you're in a in a position where you can just set aside a few shelves where people if they're diabetic or have heart disease or whatever and really have to watch what they're eating and have trouble reading the labels and and stuff like you know if they if it's on the shelf then they know that it's safe to eat or they don't have to go through the trouble of uh, trying to go down the label with their finger and then try to figure out what it all means. 
Uh, Mary, just a quick note on the cost associated with some of the organic products. And this is from a person who absolutely knows because he's involved. And he says, because they use no pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, means they use a lot more hands-on methods, more difficulty growing, the, if, as opposed to the farmers that use sprays and chemicals. And the supply chains for the distribution of organic foods apparently very problematic. So that's some of the rationale behind a little pricier uh, product when we talk about the organics as an option. Well, yes, and, and years ago, when like many Newfoundlanders, preserved their food, grew their own food. And I always say that if I... Like Elliston is the seller capital of the world, and I always say if I want a ladder, I'd have a cellar, and all the Newfoundland foods that are grown, I'd put it in my cellar for the winter because I know that it would be all, like, you know, wouldn't have to travel long distance and be pesticide-free. So, I appreciate this this morning, Mary. Yep. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. And you talk about preserves and bottling, whether it be jams or what have you. Uh, certainly appreciate a uh, feed of bottled moose. And where I'm going with that is I want to say good morning to my good buddy Frank and his wife Dolores. We're thinking about you and really appreciate the support for the show and certainly appreciate the moose. <laughs> Let's take a break. Don't go away. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. Good morning, Diane. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Uh, The city of St. John's announced they didn't get enough money for transportation from the provincial government. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're going to cut out the free passes for the low-income people. I think this is an evolving story, to be honest, Diane. So let's give the folks some background so they know what we're talking about. In 2020, the province committed uh, $2.1 million to cover Metro bus passes for people who are receiving income support. So that's Metro bus and or Go bus. The past budget... They actually expanded the program to include low-income seniors and all youth that are in provincial care, but they only contributed $1.9 million to the fund. So the city says that the province's plan is all fine and dandy, but it's underfunded. Now we're further told that the province has absolutely always maintained that they will indeed engage with and negotiate with the city so that hopefully the expansion of the program is funded by the province because it is a provincial program. And just think about it. If indeed we're seeing what it costs for diesel to operate the buses, and if there's more people that are getting free transport, this adds up to what might be a three hundred thousand dollar shortfall. So apparently the province is going to deal with the city to try to figure it out. 
Well, I don't get a free passport, but the ones that they're cutting out, the ones on uh, social assistance and whatever senior shoes, metro bus, they're not saving any money because they didn't make any money off these people. The buses are going to go the same routes. Yep. So what's the difference if there's one person on the bus or 20? Well, the difference is the amount of subsidy from the rest of the taxpaying public that contributes to the operations of that metro bus. So they've got to generate revenue where they can. I understand there's a transportation concern with low-income seniors, youth in care, people getting income support, but that's the rationale is, you know, People think it should be free for everybody, but that means it would be taxpayer-funded in full. So that's why they make a difference between if there's only one person on the bus versus 10, because they have to try to generate some revenue, cover costs. But they're not generating any, generating any revenue from people who can't afford it, because they just don't get the bus then. Yeah, I don't know how many they're, people So they're that just causing more. It's, uh, from what they said, it's 5,600 people. So they're just causing more problems for... Everything, society, those people won't be able to go visit their relatives. They won't be able to pick up a, a little part-time job somewhere if it's on the other side of town. And just their general well-being of being able to get on the bus and go somewhere away from where they are. How is it making it worse? I'm sorry, I'm missing that point. Well, if the program is expanded and funded, how does that make it worse for anybody? No, no, I mean, by cutting the cards, it's making it worse for those people. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see a cut. Now, if they're going to be able to live up to the expansion of the program, for instance, for low-income seniors, well, I would imagine they will, whether it be additional city monies or provincial government monies, but it's a provincial plan. So if they're going to announce that they're expanding it, well, they need to fund it. And I don't even know where the gray area will be. So I have a feeling that this one will play out the way it was intended to, and whether it be the uh, government comes up to the $2.1 million, which might not even fully cover it anyway, given how much uh, money we're spending on diesel these days to operate the buses, which apparently is, become, uh, is approaching like a million dollars. So it's yeah, not chump change. But I think this that. is going to happen. But then again, there's many things where the city can cut back, like all this legal stuff that city council is getting into about mile one. How many lawyers, is it just the city solicitor handling that? Or do they have four or five firms handling that? I don't know, but some things are unavoidable. So you're talking about the uh, toxic workplace legal issues? Is that what you're referring not, to? No, not just that. Like, they could have sold my one and got that off their back. Yeah. That's a, a cost of the taxpayer since it's built. There's a subsidy annually, absolutely true. So, you know, they keep doing things like this. And then getting into court battles with lawyers who all they're putting in is their time while the city is hiring firms into the millions of dollars. Sure. Some legal action is unavoidable for municipalities, certainly the municipalities the size of St. John's. But there's always a way to look at where, we, where and how we spend our money. I mean, no one will deny you that, Diane. Absolutely right. Well, I, I don't think it should be wasted on lawyers. Because, I don't know, there's something going on at City Hall that seems like a personal thing between a few people down there. Well, I think personality conflicts always uh, weigh in or measure into these uh, these issues that sometimes end up in the hands of the lawyers. Yeah, I, I think that's, again, that's not ideal. But, of course, we're not talking about people who are robots on either side, either side of the aisle here. So 
some of the emotional issues will absolutely bleed into conflict and decision making. That's that's absolutely true, Diane. Uh, Would you like to say anything else while we have you? No, I just think that business is business should be conducted right. (laughs) I I can't argue that point. Nice to have you on the show. Anybody saying, oh, no, you can't buy that house. I don't want to live. I don't want you to live there. I'm going to keep that house. And then someone taking the court because they won't sell them the house. Yeah, I don't think those things ended up in court. No, I'm just saying house for an analogy. Okay. I appreciate the time, Diane. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. How will I sneak on uh, Brendan Harris, or does he want to hang on through the news? Can he? Okay. How are we doing on the phone there, Fonz? Today's a good day to get on the program, but when we come back, Brendan's there. We appreciate his patience. We'll hear the news, and we'll come back, and then we'll hear from you. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number one. Brendan, you're on the air. Uh, good morning, Patty. How are you this morning? Very well, thanks. How about you? Very good. So, I know you're a Montreal Canadiens fan, but... Uh, yeah. But... Uh, I met the whole Montreal team in 1966 in Toronto. Wow. Pardon? That's, that's incredible. I, uh, I worked on Union Station, loading trains, loading transport trucks. And I came up to get a, a drink out of my machine. This is about uh, 20 to 1, quarter to 1. But Sunday morning, they, they played Saturday night in Toronto. And this man came over talking to me, and this man was Gene Bellable. Shook hands with me and everything else. So I was talking to Mr. Bell about 10 minutes. Then all of our team was over with their bags and that. He took me over. He introduced me to the whole Montreal team. I t- you know, I t- shook hands out the whole Montreal. I was there for 25 minutes with them. And uh, Mr. Bell said, no, from Newfoundland, he said, yes. Oh, I love Newfoundland, he said. Mr. Bell said, right? Great fans, he said. Can't beat them, he said, right? Wow. Uh, pardon? That's incredible. So, I mean, yeah. beyond Bellevue, I suppose... Uh the Roadrunner would have been on that team. Cornway would have been on that team. Uh, Henri Richard uh, would have been on that team. Boom Boom Jeffrey on. Wow. And, uh, well, D- Doug Harvey and uh, all them what else, right? The whole who was on that team at the time. I can't remember. I never had a camera. They said I had a camera. We could take, I said, I got no camera. I said, I got me all work, dirty old work clothes on, all coveralls and everything. Now put it right. And Mr. Bellable came over by this guy. I had it still clothes on. Didn't make a difference to him, right? He just was some kind of nice man. He couldn't beat it, right, in my opinion, right? Yeah, I don't even know if I can recall. I mean, so it's tricky to try to remember who was on all those teams, but, geez, Serge Savard probably was on that team. He would have been a young player in the 66-67 season. Uh, yeah, they were all there. See, it was a lot of people that's going back now, and that's what they're going out. So it's, uh, it's someday, but that's why I figured, now I know the, the virus is going to go now, but the hockey, be a fan now, you've got to pay towards an, an association or something. It's unbelievable how hockey sector are changing, right? In that regard, right? Yeah, to go see a game, like even notably the Scotiabank Centre to go see the Leafs, I mean, for one of the prime seats, it's way out of my price range. And here right now, there's some buildings in the NHL where you can still get a reasonably priced ticket and go see a game, but it absolutely has changed. And what's also changed is some of the mystique surrounding these guys, right? Like Bellevue. Now we know so much about the pro athletes, and the media is so overwhelming in their coverage, especially in this country, that it's just changed the whole feel and the dynamic of the National Hockey League. But not to say it's a bad thing, because I'm really enjoying it, but... 
not really enjoying the Montreal Canadiens and their standings this year, but anyway, that's another topic. I wish to go to uh, Joshua, watch Joshua Gentleman's playing. Bobby Orsk played there right at that time. Yeah. And uh, Bobby Orsk, we come out and wait when he come out to the West Awards, and Bobby Orsk shake hands with everybody, right? That was tragedy what happened to Orr, you know. I mean, he certainly reimagined how defensemen play in the league, but the injuries took him away way too quickly. I had the pleasure of meeting Bobby Orr myself down at Mile 1 one time when he was here for a Chevrolet hockey. A bunch of big stars came in, you know. Mike Bossy was here, and I understand Bossy's in bad shape or maybe even died last week, but he's uh, unfortunate. But, yeah, nice to meet those kind of players, Bobby Orr. Wow. Well, you can't beat hockey for a sport, watching sports on TV. Hockey is a game. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, you know, it's, uh, I don't know what I mean. It's such a mind, and uh, you can see it, that watching it is unbelievable, right? You know, it's, uh, you Who's know. your team? Pardon? Who do you cheer for? Well, I'm not a Toronto fan. Like, I, I, I used to like Boston one time, more or less, right? Boston? Not me. And uh, Boston Bruins, and uh, it's something like that. But now I don't cheer for anybody now. But I, I just watch it now, and uh, it's, it's a different alligator now, right? More or less, right? It's a, but uh, we played hockey on the ponds when we were growing up, right, years ago. And uh, played hockey and, and uh, back and forth on the ponds, and more or less, right? Yeah, so did we. we skates. Pardon? Uh, so did we. we. I played a lot of pond hockey with uh, Sean Skinny Nook, whose young fella Alex is playing for Colorado. Are you following our local boys, Alex Nook and Dawson yes, Mercer? Yeah, yeah it's once Colorado, yes, and, and uh, yes, Tobin, and the, the one, uh, one guy is from Bay Roberts, right? Yeah, Mercer is right. from Bay Roberts, playing for New Jersey. That's right. Yeah, Bray Roberts. Yeah, I follow. Yeah, I follow. Like I said, hockey is good to watch. By people don't understand, but it's fast. It's, it's a lot faster game now than what it really was. People say it's the finesse passing that there, but it's after getting so much fast, you know, fast, and the, the people are, uh, are just. I think they're in better shape now than they were back then too. I think they are more or less right. And they're bigger. Uh, oh yes, the, oh yeah, the bigger toe. Yes. Watching uh, hockey yeah. on TV is one thing. Watching it in real life, it's unbelievable how fast it is. You don't have a split second to make a decision with the puck. It looks like oh, they no, got a bit of time on TV, but not so. Oh, we're down my one. We watch it on my. I see. I seen about ten or twelve games in Toronto, uh, NHL games, and uh, Montreal played a three them and I seen anyway, right? In, in Toronto at the time, but in, in '66, right? And uh, 67, right, playing games, right, watching games, right? Very cool. T- take care. I appreciate your time, Patty. Yours too, Brendan. All the best. Yeah, and keep Montreal. Montreal is still a good team. If Montreal's on the playoffs, it's going to make a difference this year. They were a team. Toronto won one Stanley Cup, right? Right? In 1967, right? Well, they, they haven't won since 67, but they've won more Cups than that, though, of course. Yeah. I know, but a long while ago, but that's, uh, they haven't won one since 67, right? They have not. No, no, no. Take care. All the best. You too. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. 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 Have some cool memories meeting those kinds of players. Um, it's one thing I do kind of miss about Out of the Fog, I have to say, is we had the opportunity every time one of the big hockey player names came to town, I'd be sure to try to line up an interview, and the, many of them were really quite gracious with their time. So from Lanny McDonald to Mike Bossy and uh, Dougie Gilmore and Patrick Waugh at uh, one time, which was a fascinating interview. And I see one guy chiming in with the Go Sabres, uh, Gilbert Perrault. Perrault was just an extraordinary player. And, of course, the French Connection. So the French Connection, I was jumping out of my mind. So it would be Richard Martin, Richard Martin, Perrault, and I can't believe I can't remember the other winger. 
on that particular line. Anyway, and of course, it's always nice to break up the show with a little bit of attention to something that can be as mindless as talking a little bit of sports. But, you know, for my money, where we're talking about so many things that are just so overwhelmingly complicated and emotional, every now and then a little break in your in the action with uh, something like even just talking about a bit of hockey or the people you've met or the folks who are cheering on, like, for instance, Young Newhook, of course, and uh, Young Dawson Mercer, which I think has really made it a lot more interesting for many of us who are following that particular sport. Well, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Rennie Robert. Uh, Mador was coming in to tell me because he knew full well Brian Mador remembered who else was on the, the French connection line. Yeah, Rennie Robert. Okay, good stuff. All right, how are we doing on the phone, Fonts? Is this particular caller coming on the program? Every now and then, Monday, uh, Monday gets off to a bit of a sluggish start, but remember, there's just so many overwhelming topics for, our, for us to consider that we can talk about. And so let's go to line. Okay, let's go to line number one. Good morning, Daryl. You're on the air. Yes, sir, Patty. How are you this morning? Great today. Thank you. How about you? Good. First time caller. Welcome to the show. Uh, heard you commenting earlier about uh, healthy eating and how how expensive it is to eat and so forth. Uh, I'm actually a chef by trade, and I was uh, going to pass along some uh, information there uh, on healthy cooking, healthy eating, or anything you'd like to ask, by all means. Absolutely. You know what? I don't know if it's fair for me to call it a myth that eating healthy comes with a whopping big price tag. But when you have some helpful tips and get pointed in the right direction, you know, I'm not in the business of promoting one grocery store or product or another, but so is it a myth or can you indeed eat healthier for a very similar price to so-called eating unhealthy? Absolutely, Patty. It all comes down to educating and cooking meals for yourself. Um, you know, if you plan your meals throughout the week and you shop, uh, you're a little bit frugal when you're shopping and shop wisely, uh, you can prepare some decent meals if you're cooking from scratch at home, for sure. Okay, so give us some tips about how to shop. You know, how important is it to set a menu for the week? Because we used to try to do that, but part of my routine is to shop daily. So how do I approach going into the grocery store to try to save some money but to eat, eat healthier? Give us some tips. Well, the first thing that I do, I look at the weekly flyers. If you have a look at the flyers, you can kind of plan your menu out for the following week. So you look at who got the proteins on sale, uh, your fruit and your vegetables, and uh, your starches, and just plan it out throughout the week. Uh, for example, you know, if you were, you like those nice pork loin chops, uh, instead of buying the chops that are pre-done and sliced and looking nice in the package, you can buy the whole pork loin and trim it up and cut your own chops throughout the week. And uh, what you don't use, you can freeze them up and use them down the road. Absolutely. We try to do that with a variety of meats. You know, it's pretty expensive to try to eat beef, but we do try to buy the big portion and slice it up and freeze it, as you rightfully point out. There can be some savings achieved achieved there. But even in the preparation of healthy food, we still all have the the possibility to take a healthy dish and to oversalt it or how we prepare to maybe take away some of the nutritional value. What are some of the, as a trained chef, what are some of the keys to preparing a healthy food to make sure that it's as healthy as you intended when you bought it? Well, for example, you, I know you mentioned earlier about uh, you buy your vegetables that are frozen and uh, use them because they got the same nutritional value. Like So during the summertime, uh, if you can get uh, fresh broccoli or cauliflower or any kind of vegetable that's on sale, you can actually blanch it and freeze it yourself. You know, So if you, if you pair cook, freeze it and bag them up, I mean, that comes with substantial savings and you still get the health, health benefit itself too. Yeah, I mean, anything that people can uh, do for themselves to try to be attentive to their diet, 
But this is a tricky piece of business, though, because it's one thing to say, quite another to put it into practice. We fall into our routines, whether it be what time we get up, what time we go to bed, how I prepare for the show. Same thing with our diets. We get used to the same dishes, even though it's a real racket every day trying to figure out what you're going to have for supper. Like I try to prepare something decent for supper, especially because I have two grown boys at home. So how do you break the habit of relying on the same old dishes to move to a healthier option? Is it more time consuming? Is there any more effort to it? Or what do, what do you say to folks who have a hard time changing their tune about how they prepare their their grocery list? Because I fall into the same old ruts. There's probably 10 or 12 supper ideas that we go through and That's we right. just recycle them. I think it all comes down to by of having an open mind and educating yourself. Um, you know, the standard eating chicken, pork, and beef uh, throughout the week. I mean, I, I agree it could get a bit boring, but uh, you can certainly explore using the different spices and different side dishes and so forth. But at the end of the day, you know, planning, I think, is the most important. And uh, shop for the specials, you know. And certainly seasonal and, and supporting the, 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 lo- the local uh, meat and poultry and, and produce. I do pay attention to that. So I can tell you now what I was planning on buying today in the grocery store to make for supper tonight. I was going to make a shepherd's pie. Give me a suggestion for a, a healthy dish that is easy to make for tomorrow night. One of your faves. Tomorrow night? Yep. Tomorrow night, I would take uh, chicken. Chicken's one of my favorites for sure. If you t- if you got a couple of fresh chickens and you roast them off and uh, have some nice vegetable and maybe a side salad with them, uh, the following day, if you've got any chicken left over from tonight's meal, if you, if you cool it promptly and, and wrap it well, you can use that in a chicken stir-fry tomorrow, or you can freeze it, maybe use the, the chicken meat and, and the broth to make a chicken soup next week. You know, so it's when you look about in the food service world and in, in the commercial environment, uh, restaurants and any food service establishments, like they plan out a week at a time and a month at a time. So you get to reutilize uh, the products that you're buying. So, you know, if you had a big roast of beef for supper today, what you got left from your roast of beef, that can be a beef stir-fry, beef stew, um, you know, down the road for sure. And um, it's all about cooking fresh and um, knowing what's in your in your meals itself. You know, if you look at a lot of the prepackaged items and pre-made items, uh, there's a lot of ingredients there that you really don't know what they are. You kind of kind of got to look them up uh, but if you're making from scratch at home and just educating yourself on good quality food practices you know um, I mean a lot of people use these new air fryers and stuff which are you know are, are relatively healthy you know but if you're having a, a big Caesar salad block with Caesar dressing and cheese and bacon and everything on the side you're probably defeat your purpose at times you know yeah and the pre-made meals are also taxable so another way to try to save some money is to make some of the effort yourself. We all have real busy lives, and sometimes cooking is the last thing we want to entertain at the end of a, a busy or a long day. And that's why another reason why I think uh, fast food gets so much action is because of the ease, when in fact we know we're not doing our bodies any real favors if we indulge too frequently. Uh, appreciate the call this morning, Daryl. Good stuff. Take care, buddy. You too, man. All the best. Bye-bye. Yeah, uh, so... Twitter is asking me, shepherd's pie or cottage pie? We're making pâté chinois, shepherd's pie, beef, onion, corn, potato. Uh, and it's not cottage pie because lamb expensive. You got that right. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, the topic, well, that's up to you. Don't go away. Right now, I got tears in my eyes. 
The Workday Winds Down with Greg Smith in the Drive. Get up to speed on the day's events and current traffic, weather, and community updates each weekday afternoon on your VOCM. This is Open Line on VOCM. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Oh, I have to say, getting lectured about shepherd's pie and cottage pie is not my favorite thing of the morning. I'll have to bravely admit. So this is from one of my, one of my good pals. So it's only shepherd's pie if you use lamb. If you only use beef, it's cottage pie. He says, come on, Patty, exclamation mark. I'll tell you what, I'm not serving you. You're not invited. We call it shepherd's pie, okay? Get off my back. <laughs> so, okay, it's only shepherd's pie if you use lamb. Got it. Let's go to line number two. Good morning, Don, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Yes, like, she's shepherd's pie. It is um, to me. That's how we learn. That's what we call it growing up, and that's that. <laughs> Same as me. Um, Patty, there's a couple items. I'll keep them brief, but I've been wanting to call in and just, uh, I don't know, I never really had the, the courage to do it, the type of thing, but um, because all, all, all Patty needs, we know, is one more opinion. <laughs> so uh, first and foremost, Patty, I've heard snippets. I'm a, I'm a long-time listener, and um, you had talked about it, something you had no experience in, but you'd be interested in it. In the last few uh, days that you've been on, you had had, um, a little bit of it on your show. You talked about our mental health, and um, so you'd be interested because you do have a stressful job. Lord knows, not just from uh, Newfoundland callers, but the occasional uh, Nova Scotian caller. That's um, right. <laughs> um, uh, mindfulness. I, I worked a stressful job for many, many years, and late in my career, way too late. I was up into management at that time. Um, I just got walked in on one of these PD day type of things. You well, we went to a mindfulness training course. My goodness, I should have done it years ago. It's just so I would encourage you, Patty, to reach out somewhere. Um, you can do them online. It's not the same. You can do informal classes, uh, meetings, but I would say, Patty, do some mindfulness training, and I, I guarantee you, you'll encourage others to do the same. I, I tell you what, I'm actually doing pretty well. Uh, I I admit the job can be stressful, but. I seem to be managing it, and I'd be honest enough with myself that if it was getting the best of me, I would reach out and get some help or some training or whatever the case may be. I'm not too, I'm not too macho to admit that if I needed some help, I absolutely would go get it. So I, it may have come across not the way I intended when I said, you know, the, the stress and what have you, because I'm actually doing pretty well. Um, maybe it's because I'm lucky with the, the family I have and my buddies and stuff, but I'm hanging in there, uh, no problem. But just give yeah. us some idea what the mindfulness training involves. Well, um, Patty, I actually called to talk about other things, but just, uh, you know, just reaching oh. out. Um, I didn't mean to come across that way, Patty. No, no, I'm no. Not sure I'm not I taking did. offense one uh, bit. That you were, that, 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 because I think you manage, ex I'll talk about uh, what my, my limited experience with mindfulness, but um, I mean, Patty, I think uh, a variety of things go into it, and you touched about it, family, friends and stuff that helps you cope, but I believe your personality style from the, from the way I've 
done my uh, armchair quarterback and assessed you. Um, you have a personality that's just fit for what you're doing. A lot of people just couldn't. Well, people call in all the time, Patty. They couldn't handle what you're doing. And so I think you're doing well as well. But and, and I was doing okay, I thought, too. But the mindfulness training just I don't know it just it's it's really fantastic and so for example I'm sure there's a variety of types <laughs> far from an amateur at it no no you know I just went to a couple of classes that's all I did uh for a day and um and it was, it was there's a you know someone that leads it and uh, uh the type that I was at was a lady leading it I think she was from Newfoundland but I was in Ontario at the time working and um they just got you um getting your mind off of thing everything like uh and that is very hard to do like you open your eyes you have an opinion on the color of the blue like you know we're surrounded by stimuli all the time and just helping us focus you know it's almost like um i'm not saying a kumbaya but um but uh really interesting it helps you just relax and 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 then all of a sudden thoughts come floating into your head of what really matters in life and you know stuff you just never really you just didn't think of in the run of a day like you know and just an appreciation for your uh family and friends and your loved ones uh i don't know there's just something about it uh like i guess that's why they have a title on it patty it is really is something and i'm 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 uh, i apologize here for my poor explanation of it and the poor people that are listening that are i have experience with this call in and i'm sure you can do way better than me no i mean i think that was great we also had a caller last week a hematologist i can't remember the doctor's last name at yeah. this moment yeah i remember yeah. yeah, meditation. So I actually tried a little bit of it on my own, just based on something that I was looking at on YouTube, and I gave it a bit of a swing on Saturday. I'm going to give it another crack because that, that really does feel like it can be very beneficial, regardless, and I'm not just talking about myself, but for anybody who's looking for a way to break away from dwelling on work or some problems with family or money or whatever the case may be, because Lord knows we could all use a little break. And so whatever Absolutely. technique that works for you, hopefully people will take the time, especially if they're, you know, rolling around in bed at night or the stress is getting the best of them and their relationships or what have you. Far be it for me to tell you what to be at. But I think that there's been so much, especially in the last two, two and a half years, that regardless of how mentally strong you are, and regardless of how quality, the quality of your family relationships and your friends and stuff, there's always a way to give yourself a little bit of a break. And for me, I try to find an escape, uh, I'll admit, with sports. I don't get too caught up in the wins and the losses and my team, how they do. It doesn't bother me like it used to when I was young. I just appreciate the competition. It's something else that it doesn't have anything to do with what I do for a living. And I can enjoy it with my boys and enjoy it with my mm -hmm. wife. And, you know, so it's just some little things that I, that I try to incorporate in my day. I try to get a walk in, which I, I find to be really quite helpful. So, uh, Don, I know you didn't want to talk about this, even though I'm enjoying this portion of the chat. I know you want to talk about yeah. uh, healthy eating. So let's well, do that. No, Patty, that's important. Because you don't look after ourselves. We got no one else to look after, you know. And, um, uh, and well, you talked about it. And I mentioned briefly, you know, with my uh, Amateur assessment of your personality type, and I, I did work in healthcare for years. And um, you know, obviously, there's a sign of your resiliency. You're, you're a Habs fan, right? Exactly. And, uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> and you don't care, you know. And so you, you're cut out for that, Patty. But no, I was just going to mention a couple of things, Patty, quickly, and because your queue could be loaded up, I'm not sure there. But one was you're talking about food, and when I retired uh, the first time. Um, I uh, I got into small well, no first I got into real estate but then when I retired I retired a few times I got into cooking and uh, and then I really took it serious and I opened up my own cooking business uh, and whatnot but one of the things that I would recommend people do is uh, well I went as far as putting a 47 inch uh, flat screen TV uh, on a swing mount in my I had an open concept kitchen living room type of thing and so I just when it was cook time I just swung that sucker around put put up the um, YouTube video of the day and uh, you know I started cooking and it was so fun but I want to put a shout out to a guy named Chef Jean-Pierre 
he is just exploding on YouTube. And I just discovered him in the last year. Chef Jean-Pierre did a hyphen in the middle there. Uh, and um, he's fantastic. Now, there's a thousand out there, like Jamie Oliver and whatnot, which I really enjoy, right? But Chef Jean-Pierre and his team, he, he, oh, he's a, a chef, by the way, uh, a trained provinci- a provincial French chef, uh, 50 years experience, tons of restaurants. and uh, But he is just such a funny guy, and he shows you how to do it. So his team has, because everybody's out there fighting for their YouTube hits, right, and their, their likes, his team has taken efforts to show you exactly how to do it. Like, I mean, there's no hidden things, and he doesn't rush through it. And anyway, I put a shout out there if you want to watch, take your laptop into the kitchen. Yeah, I actually have the open concept going, too. I can see the TV, and I can just mirror my iPad on the TV. So that's that's an easy one. Give me his name one more time. Jean, uh, chef. So because he is a chef, a professional chef, so that's the way his title comes up. Chef, Jean, which is G-E-A-N, yeah. as you know. Yeah, with a hyphen there in the middle. And then Pierre. Chef Jean-Pierre. The guy's fantastic. He's fantastic. He's got millions of followers. And he actually, this is my one little claim to fame, he actually answered an email of mine a few last month. Which, uh, <laughs> I just went, wow, this is, this is interesting. Uh, so that was neat. No, I just wanted to, uh, Patty, uh, we could just, yeah, so that's just saying, and if you don't like Chef Jean Pierre, put someone else on, right? Or, or your type of, and and you'll start seeing the, and those, the healthy cooking uh, ones out there as well. And they're just amazing. So I just encourage people because, yeah, moving back to Newfoundland after I retired, yeah, it reminds me, uh, my mom's long passed down, of how poor the nutrition is here of many, many people. Yeah, so you can go all the way back to Son of a Critch where everything is just boiled and beige Ooh. versus the exploding culinary scene. And make cooking fun. When I first started to take on a lot of the cooking duty, I felt it was a bit of a chore. But now I'm kind of enjoying it. And so when, it's, when it comes across as fun and the family enjoys the meal, I actually get some great satisfaction. And maybe that's something else I'm doing for a little bit of a, a break during the course of the day is my shopping to be cooking. And, uh, you know, give the wife a little break because I have, I have more time in the afternoon than she does as a busy woman. So anyway, Don, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for this. Oh, but Patty, I just wanted to mention one thing. I didn't even uh, on an, on one issue, sure. and uh, I've got a, there's a few here we could talk about the big ones on your show. But it's power, and I'll just make this really quick. Um, I didn't quite grasp it. I got to do some research on it. I heard it on Friday. It was some kind of a moratorium on wind at the same. Or well, I don't know what that was all about. Well, there's a couple of things there. So the then PC government brought forward two very controversial bills. Bill C. Bill 60 and Bill 61. Bill 60 took the Public Utilities Board out of any pricing adjustments associated with Muskrat Falls Power. Bill 61 was all about alternative forms of energy. So there was a ban on anything that people can do other than a full reliance on Muskrat Falls when it came on stream. So that's what that was. That was back in 2007. So now that's been amended to encourage some potential. If we think about that, though, Patty, of course, that's been amended. That's great. But if we think about that, how, oh, my goodness, that's, that's, that's just craziness. I can see Bruno rolling in his grave over there. Like, you know, I can't believe there was a ban on alternate powers, but I guess that just blows me away. Well, it was all about ensuring that they could pretend that there was a needed market for muskrat. Okay. All right. A quick one, if I will, here on healthcare. Sure. I haven't worked in healthcare for many, many years, and oh, boy, I think every second call is related to healthcare on your show, and for a good reason. Um, uh, it's, it's in a dire need in this province. And I believe it's going to stay that way unless... Uh, something huge has to change. And we're talking paradigm shifts here. Um, first off and foremost, and, uh, you know, it's, it's almost taboo to talk about it, but you've talked about it, Patty, and you're very open-minded, is how can we expect a province of barely 500,000 people to continue to support all these outports for huge? Like, you know, we're not, I don't, like Newfoundland is a huge, huge landmass. And when, you know, the fishery's not there anymore. 
you know, since 92. So, you know, you don't, what I want to say, you know, but people still expect the exact same services. So, you know, there has to be a mind shift there. Like, it's just, it's just not going to work. There has to be a plan because whether yeah. we like it or not, if we wait for it to happen naturally or organically, it's going to be chaotic and a real mess. So just yeah. talking about it in frank terms about what we see with, you know, economies of scale and young families leaving or staying, the aging demographic, the jobs that might be available. If we don't talk about it, it's just going to happen. And then all of a sudden we'll be chasing our tail. It's going to be more expensive, more difficult on individuals, more difficult on families. So let's just be honest and talk about it. You know, the, the, the dirty R word that is relocation or resettlement we don't have mm-hmm. to go quick fast track down that road but let's just talk about what we are thinking we're going to see and what we can do about it that that yeah. conversation gets derailed before it gets going oftentimes so i agree patty people are crying they haven't got the money they haven't got the money and they don't have the money like you know that uh they don't live year to year in newfoundland it's like week to week or day to day sometimes and i see that and uh, that said like you know we're always the fishery the fishery you know we even got the, the broadcast you know as a, a big uh, program there on another another channel it comes on in the afternoon and and then of course the moratorium but and um and of course the seals and, and all this talk like you know far be it for me to you know put up put a finger on it and, and solve it but i think the whole fishery should be closed now i know that's just a i can hear people just uh you know what close the whole fishery and take all the resources now that are being thrown into the fishery, and I'm talking millions of dollars, like they're building wharfs around for three boats in, in, in outport towns that are worth millions. Take. Oh! What happened there? Oh, I was hoping to let him finish his points. So I didn't know where we were going. That might have been, even been me. Oops. Don, my apologies. I've got two friggin' clickers in front of me. I just reached out to scroll my Twitter, and I think I might have hit the button. Anyway, Don, you're always welcome back to the show because I did indeed enjoy that conversation. And so I'm going to offer my quick apology here. And Don, if you want to call back and finish your point, we can do exactly that. Okay, let's take a break. Uh, Last week, for the first time in a couple of years, the members of Hospitality Newfoundland and Labrador were able to meet in person. They are all bullish on what the opportunities might present for tourism operators in the hospitality sector this year. Coming up after the break is one of the participants, Todd Perrin. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to the row. Well, it's not murderer's row, it's chef's row. Genocide line number three is indeed Chef Todd Perrin. Morning, Todd. You're on the air. Morning, Patty. How are you doing? Great today. Thanks. You? Oh, not so bad. Uh, before I talk about H&L, uh, quickly to jump on your healthy eating conversation, uh, everybody is obviously keenly aware of the, you know, the inflation in food prices and whatnot. But, um, you know, I think as big a problem as increasing prices is just a lack of knowledge and a lack of a lack of uh, time or perceived lack of time to cook for ourselves. You know, cooking for ourselves with fresh ingredients is the cheapest, uh, healthiest way to eat. So, uh, you know, people have gotten away from cooking and, and there's a knowledge gap. You know, we're, we're raising generations of the last couple of generations of kids that, that don't really know how to cook for themselves. So, uh, so you know, I think people getting back in the kitchen is, is, is the first start. And then hopefully uh, we can work on the, the food prices and food availability and security going forward. Fair enough. Um, uh, H&L. So, yeah, as you said, uh, couple of years since uh, all hands got uh, in, a, in a room together and you know it's normally obviously a, a crowd of people in the hospitality uh, industry it's always usually a, a great bit of fun as well as education so you know I would say after the last two years uh, you know two plus years of, of so much uh, strife and 
and uh, hand-wringing uh, for what uh, is going to become of those of us in that industry. Um, you know, the optimism in the room was uh, unbelievable, to be honest with you. It was really, you know, it was very well attended. It was a great turnout. Uh, a lot of people talking about the things that they've been doing over the last couple of years to, to be ready for, you know, what hopefully will be, the, you know, a, a growing future. And, um, you know, I think it was exciting to see the people that uh, believe in the potential of, of tourism for the island and, and for Labrador and what it can bring to the overall economy of the province. You know, we were really on the upswing. The momentum was very, very real. Numbers were growing, even though there was a sense that we were kind of resting on our laurels, maybe at the government level. But there's been so much work done, so much money invested, so much upside and opportunity that remains out there for us to grab onto. You know, I, I hate making references to other countries, the Norways and Iceland's of the world. But, you know, if we have to mimic what some of these places have done, Iceland increased their tourism traffic a hundredfold overnight, virtually. So how exactly did they do it? You know, was it attention with government programs and funding and campaigns and ensuring that the product was what we needed to be upon arrival, whether it be from the culinary scene to accommodations and uh, places to get a tip and some advice or, you know, some information about where you are? I don't know what it is, but whatever people are doing that's working, let's do it because they don't have any more to offer than we do. Now, some of that's access. I, I, I should throw the access hurdle in there. Yeah, I mean, access is a problem, but, you know, Patty, look, there's all kinds of far-flung places in the world that people get to, you know. So, you know, our, our access is definitely something that we need to continue to work on and grow on. But, you know, I'm and far be it from me to kind of diminish that because I certainly won't. I mean, I've been someone who's banged that drum as loud as anybody for years. But it also gets to the point of, you know, you start to be like, we got to stop making excuses, right? We got to stop making excuses for why, uh, you know, our, our tourism visitation, you know, has, you know, essentially stagnated over a number of years. You know, we've been in there to 450 to 500,000 uh, unique visitors for, you know, essentially 10 years. Um, you know, and, and to go back to what you said a minute ago, the product that we have, and I'm not talking about the businesses, right? I'm not talking about the restaurants. I'm not talking about the hotels. I'm not talking about the bars or the tours or anything. The natural product that we have is second to none on the planet. You know, the, the, the province itself, the geography, the, the island and, and of, of Newfoundland, you know, the, 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 the landmass of Labrador, our natural gifts are, are extraordinary. And, you know, like we, we are all, you know, I had this conversation with someone at the conference over the weekend. I said, look, our job is to not screw it up. You know, it was not to make it better. I mean, how much better can it be? It's spectacular. <laughs> you know, so so like uh, not screwing it up is, is kind of where you start. And then if we can do something that's really good on top of something that's already amazing, well, then we're ahead of most of the tourist destinations on the planet. So, you know, I think that there's a, there's a, a renewed uh, energy, I think, uh, you know, and you mentioned the province there a minute ago. I mean, I think there's been an evolution inside of of the province in terms of your thinking about tourism and its potential. I think that, uh, you know, I think that, you know, COVID has done for, for the Department of Tourism the same thing that it has done for many of the tourism businesses across uh, the province is that you put everything on the table. So the way that we've done things for 10, 15, 20 years, the last two years, all on the table, you know, like my father says, we'll put it all up on the ramp, we'll get underneath it and see what we can tweak and change. And I think that, you know, the opportunity for us to stop making the excuses for why we are the way we are and to stop patting ourselves on the back for mediocre results and start to actually drive this thing forward in a way that makes tourism 
the number one industry in the province, because that is my firm belief is that that is what the future is for this province, is that we won't be talking oil and gas and the fishery in the same way that we do in terms of the rankings. Tourism is the long-term sustainable future for Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, and, uh, you know, I believe that strongly. And I believe it's a, the, the, I was in a room with 250 people on, uh, on Thursday night that I believe it too. So, uh, so, you know, I think that this opportunity coming out of COVID is, is a time that we can really, uh, you know, fulfill the promise of what we've been talking about for the last 20 years. You know, like all the stats are there. You've reported on on your show. All the indicators are there. The the, the number of bookings on Marine Atlantic. Uh, you know, we're seeing it in in the businesses around Newfoundland. You know, uh, the number of bookings, pre bookings at hotels and and B and Bs and all that stuff is looking very strong. But you're right. I mean, we do have the pinch points of access and rent to cars and all that stuff. But that's the stuff that you know. Now is the time to work on that stuff and fix it for once and for all. Uh, coming out of you know the darkest time in the history of the industry. Yeah, just for context, I made reference to Iceland. Uh, they went from similar numbers as us, you know, four fifty five hundred, and over the course of three years, all of a sudden, it was two million. So, and that was back in twenty nineteen, and of course, it fell off just like it did everywhere else in the world uh, due to COVID. So, going from our half million to two million would be a boost like we've never seen any industry bring to jobs, uh, tax base, and otherwise. So, look, I'm glad to hear that the operators are feeling optimistic about the season. There's every reason to feel it when you see the booking numbers, especially the Marine Atlantic numbers. I mean, they are, they're even well exceeding pre-pandemic numbers to the tune of what, you know, in the, the one time frame they said they had 8,000 bookings. Pre-pandemic, that number would have only been 3,300. So there's every reason to think that people are going to make their way here. And it's not all come home years. These are people who have been antsy to travel, sitting on their credits from the various airlines, willing to get out of Dodge, a change of scenery. And I'm looking forward to it as well. But hopefully, folks will make this their destination of choice. Last question, Todd. So uh, I think you're right that the, the natural offerings are unparalleled. But there is a critically important component that word of mouth is the best advertising in the travel industry. So between the culinary scene, the hospitality associated with the, the locals, we're nicer to the visitors than we are to each other, and I think that's worth pointing out. It's also the cleanliness. That's the first thing people will notice is how clean the place is. And in certain towns and cities, it's just not, and that's really desperately unfortunate. But it's also the quality and professionalism of the offerings. We've done a lot of work on that over the years. Are we where we need to be on that front? Because if you go somewhere where you were thought you were getting X and you got far less, then that's every reason to not come back. And it's every reason to tell your buddies that it's not, you're not going to get what you thought you were getting. Oh, well, the, the short answer to are we where we need to be is no. I mean, uh, you know, anybody who, you know, I, I would like to think that people do it inside of all kinds of businesses. But, you know, the idea inside of a tourism business where you're customer facing and you're, you know, showcasing yourself as a as part of a destination and a place and a province, uh, you know, you should be striving to get better every single day you know, every single hour. So, you know, it should be cleaner tomorrow than it was yesterday. The food should be better tomorrow than it was yesterday. I mean, that is that is a, that is really the, the only way to succeed. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, we talk about this a lot. You and I have talked about it before. We have to stop talking about tourism and hospitality as a summer job. 
right? It's a career. There are careers in this business. It can be professional. It can be treated as professional. People get paid professionally. They can act professionally. And that is what, that's what needs to happen is that we need to start talking about it in, in the way that, um, you know, we talk about people who work in accountants' offices and people who work in dentist offices and people who work in hospitals. You know, like, uh, you know, when you're relying on 17-year-old kids to, uh, you know, serve tables or cook food, um, you know, then there's only so much that you can get out of a 17 or 18 or 19 or a 20-year-old kid who has no experiences, hasn't done anything, hasn't really had any training and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we're one of the few industries where you can walk off the street and get a job with no, with zero training, zero anything, because we, you know, that's we're just looking to fill spots, and and it has to be that has to change, you know. You need to, we, you know, we need to have a stronger uh, presence of uh, of training in this province in terms of. A hospitality college, you know, uh, service and hospitality, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a necessary part of, to grow the industry in a way that we need to, and uh, we just pay it lip service, you know, like people just look at it as something to do in the summer. People look at it as a part-time gig, you know. Seasonal and part-time are not necessarily they don't necessarily equate, right? You know, you can work a seasonal gig and you can work as many hours in a year as someone who works for two weeks. <laughs> you know, especially in this business, because you got to make hay while the sun shines. Yeah. You know, we bring we bring in seventy percent of our revenue and forty percent of the year. So you know, you don't do that working eight hours a day. Uh, you know, so the, the the reality of it is, look, we need to see a fundamental shift in the way that we think about tourism and hospitality, not only in this province but everywhere. And uh, I think that we're starting to see some signs of that inside of, of the government uh, in terms of you know how they treat it. And I hope that that will continue to grow across the industry because there's a ton of people. And again, I was in a room with 250 of them the other night. That that's what they believe. You know, yeah. they're not they're not doing it for uh, you know just for fun. They're not doing it as, as a job. They're doing it as their life, as their career. Uh, and if we all took that, we all took that to heart and brought that across the industry writ large in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, you know, we'd be much more successful overall, not only individually as businesses, but as a province and as an industry as a whole. Uh, I enjoyed my time in the hotel business. It was, you know, people think it might be repetitive, serving a table or serving drinks or whatever, except that the clients are different every single day. So every single day can feel different, even if you're doing the same thing, because the interactions will be different because of different personalities, different countries of origin, different stories to be told. And you're right, it can absolutely be a rewarding career. Uh, we're up to the break, Todd, but appreciate your time. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Patty. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, and I want to thank Val. Sent an email. And I was referring to the hematologist to call about meditation. It was Dr. Francis Scully. That's right. Let's take a break. Appreciate the patience of Don and Jeff. They're there, and then we'll speak with you. Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Well, I certainly don't want to shortchange either Don or Jeff. We're both in the queue to talk about a couple of interesting items. Jeff wants to pick up where we left off with mindfulness, which I think is going to be very helpful. And Don wants to talk about the guaranteed income supplement. But quick note, you know, I'm speaking with Todd Perrin about hospitality. And I made reference to the fact that, you know, word of mouth is the very best advertising that a locale or a location can get. Yes, the government can create these beautiful ads and billboards and, you know, on the back of the playbill for come from away and that stuff. And that's helpful. But it's upon arrival, what the tourists see is their takeaway, and they'll tell their friends whether or not this is the place they want to spend their travel dollars. It will indeed be about the culinary scene, absolutely. 
It'll be about the people, but a hundred percent will also be about whether or not the place is clean. If it's not, it's one of the first things you notice. If someone comes and lands at St. John's International Airport and is driving down the the portion of the highway right there to get into, say, the Holiday Inn, if there's garbage in the median, it's the first thing they see. It's their first impression. So some cities have done a good job, like, for instance, the uh, city of Cornerbrook last year or the year before. They thought outside the box for a cleanup effort. They had it put out a magic cup that had some sort of marking on it. So they uh, encouraged people to go out and do the neighborhood cleanups, the citywide cleanup. And if you picked up one of these magic cups, you brought it back to City Hall, and I think you won 100 bucks. So it's unfortunate we have to dangle a carrot like that to get people involved in pride of place to try to clean up because it will indeed be one of the very first things that the visitors to your community, and this city is probably the worst example of it, whether it be with the graffiti and the garbage everywhere and the plastic bags up in the trees, and I'm telling you, it's just not what it needs to be. So the city can lead it, and St. John's Clean and Beautiful can lead it. Neighborhoods can do their own bit of effort. But if we just got away from the nasty habit of just discarding whatever it is we had in our hand, the end of the hamburger wrapper, bang, on the ground. The empty coffee cup, boom, in the, in the frigging grass. So it's not clean enough. It's nowhere near clean enough. And you can just imagine when someone says, oh, hey, Johnny, how was your trip to Newfoundland? Boy, St. John's is dirty. <sighs> That's it. That doesn't make it enticing for anyone to travel there. Let's go ahead and take a break for the newscast. When we come back, lots of time to speak with you. Don't go away. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM Morning Show. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back. Uh, Let's go line number one. Good morning, Don. You're on the air. Good morning, Pat. How are you doing? Doing fine, thanks. How about you? I'm good. I'm calling for a friend of mine, a good friend of mine. And uh, last week, around the middle of the week, you had somebody on talking about the, uh, I think it was one-time payment for the income supplement. Yeah. And trying to get a, a review, if you don't mind, to help her out uh, facts on it. You know, how it went, if it was for our seniors or however our goals, Patty. Well, you know, if you qualify for the guaranteed income supplement, so you're making the net family income or the net income for a single is under like 19148 or something like that. If seniors who were technically eligible and applied for supports during the pandemic, then, and it impacted their net income, which consequently impacted their GIS, they get a one-time $500 check. It's coming out the week of April 18th. Okay. Does that help? And, but I, I remember hearing something was uh, 400 for a family and 200 individual, wasn't it? Or have I got the numbers wrong? That's inside the province's plan. That's the province's plan? Yeah, for and that's okay. seniors who qualify for the seniors' benefit. Okay. Yeah, so 200 individual, 400 family. Yeah, all right. Thanks very much, Patty. No problem at all. Have a great day. The very same to you. Okay, bye-bye. Let me see if I got all this straight because there's so many programs, so much on the go. The increase for residents of the province in the government's five-point plan is a 10% increase if you're receiving the seniors' benefit. The one-time 500 bucks is if you had your income impacted by pandemic support, consequently it reduced your GIS or access to, then you're going to get a one-time $500 check coming out the week of April 18th. That's what's going on there. Um, 
the federal government set aside uh, like $750 million or something, and they were about to engage in the, in the clawbacks. So recognizing that that was a really ridiculously bad mood, move, so that's how this one-time $500 is going to impact it. There's also concerns with any of these upticks in support programs, federal and or provincial, especially on the provincial front. People are worried that if they're now a recipient of the uh, the, pharmaceutical, the pharmacy drug card, that if they get too much now with these increases, they're going to lose the card. But that's not the case. We've been told that they're going to raise the income threshold to recognize these increases so that you don't u- lose your drug card. Let's go to line number five. Jeff, you're on the air. Hey, good morning, Patty. Morning to you. Uh, I was listening to a couple of recent conversations you were having regarding mindfulness, and it piqued my interest. So I thought I'd call in and try to add a little clarity to the conversation. Excellent. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Um, The philosophy behind mindfulness first starts off with the fact that much of the time we find ourselves in a state of distraction or a distracted state. That's to say that we're either um, uh, worried about the future or ruminating on the past. And you yourself mentioned uh, on several calls that you find yourself in the evenings um, afflicted with a racing mind. Yeah, maybe he's... Maybe it's just information overload because life is good. It's just that I think there's a lot of stuff swirling around in my head that I sometimes have a hard time turning it off. Well, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, you do you do hold a lot of information, and you seem to have amazing recall. Uh, I listen to your show all the time, and I'm always impressed by the depth of your knowledge about a wide variety of subjects. So... Um, Knowing that people suffer with a racing mind or uh, perhaps they worry about things that, that haven't come to fruition yet or maybe they dwell on the past, um, meditation and mindfulness, and those words are sometimes used interchangeably, is a technique uh, to alleviate those things. So the first thing is uh, with respect to mindfulness, uh, Uh, An interesting definition is it's the intentional present moment awareness. So knowing that we're often um, thinking about the future or dwelling on the past, um, mindfulness is is considered uh, a present moment awareness. So it tries to bring us back to the present moment where our entire lives uh, happens. Yeah, which is much different than I think of simply clearing your mind. If it's an intense focus on what you're feeling at the moment, when I read some other definitions of it, it also goes on to expand that thought with also saying, while you're doing, you know, being aware of your breathing or what have you, but not to interpret or to judge how you're feeling as you intensely focus on it, which is an interesting way to approach anything. It seems a little bit difficult to me, so help me understand that part of the process, because it's one thing to be keenly aware and intensely focus on what I'm sensing or feeling at the moment, but it's very difficult not to make any further interpretations or to judge how you're feeling. Okay, so uh, meditation then is the formal practice of cultivating mindfulness. That's to say that we formally practice during meditation, bringing ourselves back to the present moment. And that... um, there's a variety of techniques that people use, but a universal technique is uh, through breathing awareness. So um, what I can say is that 
when you're trying to bring yourself back to the present moment, the first thing is you can gently place your awareness on your breathing. And uh, if you if you know the breath is uh, both a, an involuntary bodily function and voluntary, meaning that when we don't think about it, we breathe. But then when we do think about it, we can we can change the quality of our breathing. So um, my instruction to people is always uh, you gently uh, place your attention on the breath and then start to breathe in a uh, deep and steady and slow way. But again, the emphasis is on gently. So you don't want to alter your breathing to the point where you hyperventilate or you're, you're not getting enough oxygen, but you just want to start taking full breaths. And then you can start then to just relax the body. So as you, uh, and, a, and a meditation support for the breathing is you can count the length of your in-breath and then you can count the length of your out-breath. And that, that might be very difficult to do at first. And you, you'll recognize that your mind uh, gets distracted and starts uh, running off. And then you just gently bring it back and count the length of your in-breath and count the length of your out-breath. And as your nervous system starts to calm down, you can probably become aware of tension you may be holding in your physical body. And so, or that your posture is uh, slouched. So then you just, um, micro adjust your posture so that it's upright and comfortable. And then you um, methodically go about releasing any tension that you may become aware of in the body. And that's kind of the very first stage of meditation. So you mentioned that you like to go on walks most every day. What I would recommend to you is uh, on your next walk, um, walk with a uh, paying attention to your posture and walk uh, deliberately, uh, not too fast and not too slow, and then um, become aware of your breath and fill your lungs and then uh, empty your lungs and really try to enjoy your breathing. And as you become aware of uh, any tension that you may be holding or if your mind is racing, then you just come back and start counting the length of your in-breath and counting the length of your out-breath. And just repeat that process, and you might find that you feel calmer at the end of your walk. Yeah, I try not to, even if I'm trying to amp up the heart rate a little tiny bit, uh, even though I'm just walking, um, I try not to, you know, pant uh, just breathing through my mouth. I try to breathe in through my nose and out through my mouth. And I don't know if this is foolish or not, but I actually pay attention to how my feet hit the ground and the sound of it. <laughs> I, know, I know that sounds a little bit strange, but I do pay attention to my feet. Oh, it's interesting. It sounds like you're on the right track. Yeah, I don't know if it's getting me anywhere, but, I, you know, when I was a child, I was uh, really pigeon-toed. And now sometimes I just try to make sure that, you know, my feet are hitting the, hitting the ground, heel first clearly, and a clear, you know, a, so I have a, a reasonable oh, gait. And I try to listen to the sound that it makes, whether I be on the rocks and then I get into more of the forested path. So that's how I try to distract myself is with those two things, breathing in, in the nose, out the mouth, and watching my feet. Well, that, that definitely sounds like you're anchoring yourself in the present moment. And so things that you would want to avoid then for a period of time, uh, of course, uh, don't expect people to practice uh, meditation and mindfulness for the, for the whole walk. Uh, but uh, take out the headphones and um, just listen to the things around. So this time of year is great because birds are back and, and, and we've got all kinds of uh, lovely bird songs happening. And um, 
when people um, pass you on the path, you can even uh, <laughs> practice your smile. And that's another fun thing to do. Often, uh, one of the things I notice when I'm walking around the beautiful paths around town is uh, even even during a beautiful nature walk, many people are distracted and they blow by you and, and, and they don't look too happy. I don't know if you've noticed that before, but uh, many oh, of yeah. us are struggling with a lot of the stresses of today. And so... Uh, developing techniques to release the stress is, is important. A hundred percent. You know, I do find that, you know, people are receptive to a very quick hello or exchanging a smile. And I, I've noticed that that's getting a little bit different as the weeks and months move on and, you know, the weather is warming up and the restrictions have been eased. And even though there's plenty of people out there with concerns about the virus, I get it. But uh, hopefully people will recover because it has been very difficult. And in fact, COVID has absolutely broken some people, which is a real shame to see and a real nightmare to watch. But I appreciate the uh, the tips and the thoughts on the matter this morning, Jeff. Really enjoyed the chat. Well, thanks so much. And, and just to clue up, uh, there's no doubt about it. The life can be very challenging. But the one thing that you have to remember, I think, is is that it's also an amazing thing to be alive. And so... If we look deeply into the present moment, it's possible to see that all the conditions of happiness are right there. Sometimes it takes a little bit of effort to go find those things because if you're like you can take a lot of news, a lot of it is not good. And there's the nightmares associated, whether you see the atrocities in Eastern Europe or money woes or COVID woes or whatever's going on in your world. But there is absolutely an opportunity to find the good out there, and there's lots of it to go around, and hopefully people will make that effort because it's easy to it's easy to find the problems out there, a little bit more difficult to find some of the upside and the optimism that I, I look for every day. That's why I say things like, if someone's got some good news, bring it to me this morning on this program because I think that gives us all a little chance to catch our breath and realize it doesn't necessarily have to be all bad because it's not all bad. I agree. Good to have you on the show, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Nice talking to you, Patty. You have too. a nice day. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, it's it's out there, and it can sometimes be difficult, especially when you try to deal, knock off you know, a couple of positive uh, issues off the top of the show that aren't all the politics and the business and the medicine and the healthcare and all the rest of it. All right, let's take a break. We did mention off the top of the program this morning that the province has brought in a mediator to settle a dispute between the town of Fogo Island and the Fogo Island Inn. There is a 15-month plan to pay $200,000 in taxes, but there's an additional $57,000 in tax that's in dispute. Coming up right after the break is the former mayor, Wayne Collins, on Fogo Island. Don't go away. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. This is Open Line on VOCM. 
we have got to change that bumper back to the way I did it for a decade. Okay. Might be of interest to some and of zero interest to others. But coming up in May, there's a royal tour planned to Canada. And it's going to include this province. So the Honorable Jody Foote, the left, uh, Lieutenant Governor of Newfoundland Labrador, just sent out a news release that, yes, the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall will be coming. That's, of course, Prince Charles and Camilla Camilla Parker Bowles. They will be coming to the province this coming May. And, of course, Charles, the heir apparent to the British throne, and should he succeed? Well, there's questions about that. And, of course, Camilla would become the, what do they call the Queen's Consort. Let's go ahead and say good morning to the former mayor of Fogo Island. That's uh, Wayne Collins. Morning, Wayne. You're on the air. Uh, good morning, Patty, and thank you for taking my call there. Happy I, uh, to do it. I just uh, obviously uh, listened to your preamble there this morning, as you alluded to before you went out for a break there. And, uh, you know, there is uh, somewhat of a dispute there between the town and Shorefest regarding the, uh, or Fogo Island regarding the business tax. Yep. And I just wanted to add a few pieces of information to the uh, to maybe what some of the public especially uh, isn't aware of and maybe answer some of the inquiries or questions that you might have. But uh, there's no doubt, you know, that the uh, the Fogo Island Inn, since it's uh, 2011, has been uh, great for Fogo Island with job creation and so on, and the, the, the tourism industry in particular. And during the pandemic times, and another issue we had, of course, as you remember, was the Ferry captain strike here, which caused havoc for for accommodation businesses like the inn and, and the various B and Bs and so on. So now, with the uh, dispute on business tax, uh, you know there's there's a number of things there that uh, you, if you look at the Fogo Island Inn when it was built initially, I believe it cost somewhere in the vicinity of forty to fifty million dollars, and the assessed value as per the uh, the municipal. Uh, Assessment agency is somewhere around two million or one point nine million, which is available on the uh, government website there. And uh, the mill rate that's established there for that type of business on the island is seventeen mil. So, you know, in my my opinion or our opinion, of course, is that uh, it's a reasonable rate, a business tax rate, uh, if you compare it to possibly other places around the province. That that building in particular was. Uh, Say in some of the bigger municipalities or off Fogo Island, I'm sure it would be uh, would be appraised at a much higher rate, you know. And uh, where this existing council has come to now, and in conjunction with discussions with the end, of course, maybe there's no other option, only bring in the mediator, and hopefully it's settlement at the end of the day. But uh, you know, in my uh, as I said earlier, in my opinion, it's it's a fair rate, and previously. Uh, when we were on council, we did come up with some sort of a scenario to try and give businesses like the in some break in business tax. And we had developed a, a scenario whereby we placed the onus on individual businesses to provide the financial information to council to uh, to support uh, some tax reprieve. And we had suggested a cap at $50,000 at most that we would pay back to the businesses. And, of course, the end will be included, but the existing council choose to change that scenario, which, of course, they got the right to do. To uh, Now it's a 14% reduction in business tax across the board to every business. And my concern, and I'm sure the other previous council's concern would be, and some people would be, that is it fair to say to businesses who did really well that you're going to have a 14% reduction in business tax as well? It was our intent to to give some reprieve to businesses who uh, who had, had suffered drastically during that particular time, and are having difficult uh, difficulty in recouping from it. You know. So the- well, I mean, Fogo Island in Shorefast will say that 
They're only open 38 days at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. And so consequently cost them millions of dollars. And I, I think it's a good idea to bring in a mediator because you cannot have the relationship between Shorefast and the council sullied or scarred because that's good for nobody. But it's important to have a legitimate conversation about collecting taxation. I don't think anyone's implying at Shorefast that it's an unfair level of taxation. It's simply that amount of money because they were unable to attract any guests. They say 96% of their visitors come from outside Atlantic Canada, and they weren't allowed to come. So consequently, the loss is piled up. But I do think it's a good idea for the mediator to get in there because I'm sure Mayor Andrew Shea, even if they went through the process of maybe cutting off their water, if we go too far down that road, we might be asking for trouble that could be absolutely avoided. So we'll see where this lands. But, you know, fair taxation, it's not about the rate. I think it's simply about the fact that they were not unable to generate any revenue. But you make an interesting point about the unlevel playing field. Some businesses did absolutely great. Some, not so much. That's where it becomes complicated and a heavy workload. Say, for instance, to take applications, then to prove a loss of revenue so that the council can apply either some reprieve and or collect taxation in full. It becomes a big workload, doesn't it? Yeah, to some degree. I mean, what we're asking for was uh, we placed the onus back on the business, and I'm sure the information is, is not uh, would not be uh, identified as being confidential because there's there's a number of ways that you could get around such things. I mean, you could look at a percentage of lost revenue and so on. And you know, we, we didn't feel that, that was a heavy workload for us at the time. Okay. But having said that, the uh, the other key uh, issues, too, I mean, with any particular council, as you know, I mean, you are uh, uh, levy to you have to levy business tax. I mean, it's part of the uh, regulations within the Municipalities Act. Oh, sure. I mean, if you open any for any duration during any particular year, the way it's worded at the moment, you have to charge tax. There's no no uh, way around it. The only the only option council have to is to just mill rates or maybe look at a grant in lieu of taxes. And, you know, with the various businesses that we have around Fogo Island, similar to other areas of the province, I mean, there's other large businesses there who pay an exceptional amount of of business tax and or other property tax, water and sewer tax, and so on. But again, it's not unlike in other areas. And they have been doing that for years. And one in particular is the Fogo Island Co-op, who's been a, a huge part of our success here and been able to contribute largely to keeping the island going. I mean, we have to provide or we... The council today have to provide the basic services, and uh, you know you cannot do that without generating revenue, as you are aware. So, hopefully, it, it's all it's all uh, come out at the end of the day, you know, and fair to everybody. But having said that, I would remind everybody, all residents in particular, before you draw an opinion on one or the other, who's right or who's at fault, such if there's any such thing, if people want to do that. Try to gather all the facts that you can, all the pieces of information, and then do your own assessment and draw your conclusion to it. But if you draw a conclusion without gathering all the information you can, I think it's the wrong approach. Always is. I appreciate the context and the time this morning, Wayne. Okay, thanks, buddy. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Swain Collins, he's the former mayor of Fogo Island. Let's take a break for the news. When we come back, Katrina wants to talk talk about nurse practitioners after this. Don't go away. You know that I can surely see that I...
The Workday winds down with Greg Smith in the drive. Get up to speed on the day's events and current traffic, weather, and community updates each weekday afternoon on your VOCM. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Uh, we had Dan on the line earlier. He was finishing up his thoughts. I inadvertently hit the wrong button, so we'll rejoin to get Dan's final summary on line number one. Dan, you're back on the air. Oh, thanks, Patty. I thought I hung up, but that's fine. No, that was um, me. I reached out and I grabbed the wrong clicker, hit the wrong button. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do it all the time. I managed to hit it on the side of my cheek somehow half the time. Anyway, uh, just two points briefly, Patty, because you got someone else in the queue there, um, I heard. Yep. Is, uh, one, um, I didn't intentionally mean to do it, but uh, I did mention uh, you know, one of our, our your guests, uh, Bruno's name, and during our call. And I think it come across derogatory, and I didn't really mean it that way. Um, yeah, yeah, his delivery, uh, I think we all agree, can sound like a broken record, but I just want to say it's the broken records in life that are persistent and get their ideas through. And he has a lot of good ideas, but again, you don't get 30 seconds into a call and it's the same old thing. So, and you're on the end of that, Patty. So uh, I just want to say, I do, I do appreciate, uh, you know, Bruno's opinions, but very redundant on that note. Um, I, I don't know when I got cut off in the call, but I opened up a, a conversation. I think I might have been talking to myself, which was probably good, but a friend said I should call back. And I was talking about the fishery, basically, because it's a big uh, subject on your show. Yep. Um, and from what I see of it, just coming back, and by, by no means no expert, uh, but I, 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 I like the thinking outside the box, which I really think there's merit to your idea, Patty, of we grow our own vegetables in Newfoundland. I really think, uh, sure, the cucumber thing of Peckford didn't work, but uh, I think it just wasn't marketed well. And if we put a little money into marketing, anybody that's been in business knows a tiny bit of marketing pays huge dividends. Yeah, there was actually some problems uh, behind the scenes-ish when it came to the sprung greenhouse. So it wasn't just that it was before its time, quote-unquote, because there was some problems with it. And if we grew a lot of our own produce here, and beyond traditional root vegetables, I don't even know how much marketing we'd have to do. Even if we found a home for our locally produced things in Schools, hospitals, long-term care facilities, you gobble gobble up an awful lot right off the top. And then if people were mindful that just looked at the bag of carrots and saw where they're from, then, you know, if people were attentive to buying local, then if there was more and more of it available on the shelves and year-round, then we'd have a better go at it. That's that's my point on that front. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, But I just mentioned on the fishery, uh, yeah, for sure, but I just mentioned on the fishery, from my perspective of what I see, we're basically down to, you know, a couple of products now, lobster and crab fishing. You know, uh, they just put, uh, you know, a, a stop on um, herring, uh, not herring, I should say mackerel there last and week. And herring. And herring, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't sure if herring was for the whole island or just the West Coast. As just portions of the of the province for both, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, I, I really, from what I see driving around and stuff like that now that I am retired, or semi-retired now, is... Um, no disrespect. My, 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 I have a history of fishing in my family, but I, I don't know a better word for it, Patty. It's kind of like pretend fishing. Like, um, we, like, you know, you can go up to the outports and you can see these multi-million dollar wharfs and being rebuilt again <clears throat> through what we call grant money and or loan money um, or whatever is grant money. And um, Small craft harbors. A lot of that is federal. Yeah, okay, okay, fair enough, though. But um, that those monies, and, and who's benefiting that? Let's just look at a saner out there. you got a saner and you got an owner-operator on that, multi-million-dollar vessel. Um, no doubt they were helped with that, and fair enough, right? But they're keeping a archaic business going, and you got to you got workers on there. Let's say you got four to six workers on uh, working on a boat. Okay, so that looks after that a little bit of uh, the economy, and there is some jobs. But by no means is that a scale that's beneficial 
for, for taking the fish out of the water, right? Like, you can't buy a crab here unless you go to a warp somewhere. You don't see them in our stores. It gets, it's all shipped out. So <clears throat> you, see one, <clears throat> you see one fisherman getting very rich and some other fishermen there that got a job. But, uh, and then, you know, it's constantly the scientists are telling us, you, you know, there's a problem with the fishing there. We're overfishing, and, the, and especially when the seals are getting, are, are just cleaning the waters out. <clears throat> So I, I think it's just an idea. If you, if you float an idea, you never know. But I think they should close the fishery entirely. And and the poor fishermen out there that are working and are in debt, they should be paid out. And I mean paid out well. And the amount of money you t- we would take paying out all those fishermen would be nothing compared to other monies that are spent. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know if you have to close anything in full. And we have indeed seen license buybacks over the years. Lobster comes to mind right off the bat. Well, lobster, lobster, Patty, there's, there's endless amounts of lobsters. I, uh, if you watch the show, uh, Lobster Wars, there's perf- scientists on there that are so knowledgeable from down in the state that says, well, we, if we tried, we could never fish out all the lobsters. Yeah, I I don't dispute that whatsoever. I think we just have a broken model in the fishery as opposed to an archaic model that can't be salvaged. And I think there are two different things, to be honest. You know, maybe a bit more provincial control would be helpful, even though I think we should be careful what we wish for. It would become even more politicized if it was all up to the provincial government as to how they adjudicated total allowable catch, individual quotas, yeah. you know, buddy up and buy and uh, and bycatch and the like. I think we'd find ourselves in a, a worse spot if we had every bit of control because, you know, that's one way to win a, a voting district is to make some particular moves on the fishery, which I think can be tricky to say the least. Don, I'm glad you had a chance to finish off uh, your thoughts. One, one final point, Patty, not to bring a problem without, you know, trying to bring solution don't don't stop the people from fishing let the people fish um you know that an average seal takes 60 pounds a day patty if someone wants to get out in their boat and go get some fish for their family let them do it throughout the island but close the commercial fishery and let them come back let the fish come back take all the resources that are now being put in provincially and federally that are going into the game wardens and everything else and put that into um marketing for sealing and start start the sealing industry. So if they want to fish and continue commercial fishing, it'd be in the seal industry. Yeah, we don't even go get the full quota of uh, seals annually either. That's no, a, no. a large-scale problem that I don't think anybody's no. got a practical solution. I appreciate the time, Don. Thanks okay, a lot. All the best. All the best. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Will I take Katrina right here? Okay, let's go to line number two. Hi, Katrina. You're on the air. Oh, good morning, Patty. Uh, first-time caller. Welcome. I'm from the West Coast, from Cornerbrook, actually. And uh, I'm calling, I guess, in frustration and concern regarding the doctor shortages. And um, my husband and I are both in the same position. We've lost our our physicians in November with the closure of a clinic here in Cornerbrook. And uh, I noticed there wasn't a lot of it being addressed in the recent uh, provincial budget. And uh, we're going to have to seek, I think, the services of a nurse practitioner. My husband in particular is on quite a uh, number of medications. And I'm just wondering uh, why there isn't a push for nurse practitioners to be covered by MCP, given doctor shortages. I know that they can't address every concern of patients, but they can certainly do a lot of the work that doctors have done historically in the past. Uh, and my next question to that is, have you had an opportunity in recent times to discuss with Dr. Hagee or even Minister Cody uh, what the government's plan is to, I know that uh, the uh, Newfoundland Labrador Medical Association has 
come out recently and said, you know, that we're in crisis management and the government needs to address it. But I'm just wondering, like, why? I know the nurse practitioners here in Cornerbrook, I believe, are petitioning or at least writing the government to ask that they be covered under MCP. So, uh, you know, given uh, the shortage for myself and for thousands of other Newfoundlanders, I'm wondering if you could get Minister Hagee on in, in recent days and say, why aren't you looking at that as at least an alternative to not having enough physicians. Uh, we've done it many times. Uh, I can't see any good reason why they can't build MCP. You're right, they can't do everything that a GP does, but they can certainly attend to a lot of the fundamental questions that are being asked of family doctors, so it should be in place. If we're looking for ways to ease the backlog and the, the chokings at the uh, emergency rooms, and people's uh, symptoms worsen because they can't see a doctor, we should be doing everything possible to allow for all healthcare professionals to maximize their scope of practice and to be able to bill MCP, without a doubt. And I'm happy to ask the ministers again, and I have, and I think it's a good idea that we should pursue. I do too, and I think it's timely now, given the recent budget and the fact that it was kind of glossed over. And of course, with the recent news this morning, that we are that they, you know, the Newfoundland Labrador Medical Association has said that look, we're in, you're you're going to need to employ crisis management. And I understand it's even worse in the rural regions, but I mean it is here as well in Cornerbrook, and so it's I know it's everywhere. We're not the only ones who are suffering, and I, I certainly realize that. But I really think that it might be timely if you could. Ask either Minister Hagee or Minister Cody to say, okay, why why can't uh, nurse practitioners be covered? Why not? And as you said, sure, they don't have the complete scope of practice that physicians do, but certainly they can they can really help to alleviate a lot of the backlog. And with COVID, if people are really you know fearful, who wants to line up eight to ten hours in a corridor uh, at your at your local hospital to be seen? Uh, it's just it's. It, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. So I just thought I'd call this morning and ask if you could do that in recent days. or That would be wonderful. Happy to do it, Katrina. Thank you so much, Patty, for taking my call. You're welcome. Take care. Happy. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, okay, so the caller that was there for after the break has job, jumped off, and we'll get that person back on. I know you have to establish a formalized framework. You just don't say, okay, today, now you can build MCP. I get it. But even if there were some private clinics set up by nurse practitioners, and it doesn't contravene the Canada Health Act to pay cash for said service, you know, if it's $30 is the number that comes to mind, the whole fee-for-service model is being addressed. The doctors have clamored for it forever. There's some work that has actually been done on the, this front. But it doesn't mean that you can't expand our thought on how we change the framework and processes or protocols to allow for, you know, easing the burden on the system by having people who might not have the money and absolutely refuse to go to a nurse practitioner if they have to pay cash out of pocket, knowing that if they just go to the emergency room or they go to one of the private collaborative clinics or the collaborative clinics, the primary care teams, that they won't pay. So removing that barrier seems like a good idea because, remember, the most expensive thing in this country is a night in the hospital. If your symptoms worsen to the point where you need more and more care, including the potential for hospitalization, or you develop long-term symptoms, then it just costs more. So let's take our final break of the morning. When we come back, we're speaking with you. Don't go away.
Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back. Let's go to line number one. Paul, you're on the air. Hi, good morning, Patty. Morning. Uh, I, I was listening to you for a little while, but then the power just went off, so at least the phone is still working. <laughs> but I can't, I can't hear you on the radio. But anyway, Patty, the reason why I called, I got on the bus this morning, the Metro bus. I don't get on the bus very often, buddy, maybe once or twice a month. But uh, the state of the bus is the windows. You can't even see outside the windows, Patty. It's all right if you're the driver, maybe the first two rows, but after that, just totally filthy. It's like that every time I get on the bus, right? It's just uh, maybe if someone down the city hall is listening, maybe they can, you know, put a few words in about that or something. So just the windows are dirty? Yeah. Just like I guess, I mean, I know if it was muddy out or something like that, but it was, the last few times I got on the bus, you literally, it's very difficult to see out where, where you're going. It's all right for the driver. He can see his window's nice. He's got the nice windshield wipers going this morning. I got Route 21 out to Mount Pearl this morning, Patty. I had to go to Mount Pearl to get to, to, get to Walmart. But another thing I was going to mention too, Patty, about the bus, and you probably noticed this over the years, you get on the bus and, and the driver hardly gives you enough time to sit down and he revs up the engine and he goes off on the bus. And you're almost, like I was there slipping the slide and getting, getting down into my seat. And that's not the first time I've seen that happen, Patty. I wonder if somebody were to get injured, would that be on them, Patty? Well, you know, I haven't uh, been on the bus lately, but I guarantee you that is absolutely true. It feels like you don't have a whole lot of time to hit your seat before you're back on. Yes, exactly. And like I said, I've seen there maybe the last month the same thing to a lady. She just got to the seat, but even then she had to fall back into the seat. And I often wonder, I mean, I guess if, if they, it would be on them if you got injured, wouldn't it? I don't know where the liability would fall. I suppose it would fall to the operator of the bus and the bus company. Yeah, I guess so. But that's been going on for years, hasn't it, Patty? When I was going to school, it would be the same thing, buddy. They just rev up and, and the way they go, right? Hardly give you a chance to sit down on the bus. I'm sure other people have experienced that as well, right? I, I was slipping and sliding there this morning when I just got back in time to the seat, right? But uh, that's, uh, no, I just thought I'd mention that this morning, Patty, because, I mean, somebody's going to end up getting hurt on the bus for sure. The way some of them guys drive, anyways, <laughs> that's another story, right? And I shouldn't say guys because women are pretty bad too, Patty. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Why Why wouldn't they be? Right. But, uh, yeah, I just thought I'd mention that this morning. I mean, the state of the windows when you sit in the – you can't even see where you're going. And I went to Mount Pearl, Patty. That's the first time I've been in Mount Pearl in 30 years, Patty. So I had to ask the driver, like, where's Mount, uh, Walmart and Mount Pearl? He told me, you know. Well, I couldn't even see where I was going. I, I was trying to look out through the window. He said it's across from Dominion, which didn't do me any good because I couldn't see anyway. So halfway there, I said, are we there yet? Did we pass it yet? He said, no, another 10 minutes yet, but. But, I mean, the state of the windows is really bad. Uh, and that's pretty unnecessary. You know, when you go to clean up the bus, I would imagine that includes cleaning everything in the bus. Or at least or the, the outside. I mean, what, just a hose or hose it down or something, right? So you can look out, you know. <laughs> it's strange that's the way it is. Yeah, but it seems like it's only the first two rows and, and of course, the, the driver's window. But other than that, just filthy, filthy. But it's been like that for a long time, right? But I just thought I'd throw my two cents worth in on that one. Like I said, I get the bus maybe once or twice a month, that's all. But even even so, even when I do get it, it's always that way. Yeah, but oh. it shouldn't be that way, and that's so easily avoidable. I'm glad you brought it up, though, Paul. I hadn't thought of it. Okay, my buddy. Thanks for your time, Patty. Appreciate yours. Take care. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. The very last word, and a quick one on that, unfortunately, goes to line number two. Roz, you're on the air. 
Hi, Patty. Hi. I just wanted to talk about girls coming here. Yeah, we only have a minute, so go right yes, ahead. I know. I just wanted to say that I think it's a total waste of money to have them come visit when other people can't afford to uh, heat their homes. And uh, we cannot get a doctor here in in Newfoundland, but they can afford to bring the royals here. I don't know what kind of cost coverage we're going to absorb. You know, there was concern when it came to uh, uh, Kate and what's the redhead's name? So it's Prince William and Harry. Harry and... it wasn't, yeah, it was Harry and Meghan Markle. We covered a big load of their security costs when they were living out in B.C. for a while, but I don't know if we absorb any provincial costs for the royals to visit here in May, uh, this May, but uh, I guess I can pr- try to figure it out. Yeah, I'd like to find out for sure, because, Patty, to me, we got, we got better things to do with our money now than have the two of them come visit. Uh, I haven't got no respect for either one of them as a personal thing. You know, uh, to me... Uh, what are we uh, bowing down to them for? You know, we got we got enough on our plate to deal with the epidemic and our health care and people not afford, able to afford to pay for their electricity. I understand. Roz, you've had the last word. I wish we had more time. Anyway, thanks, Patty, You're for welcome. your time. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, we are out of time, but we will pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On, ha- on behalf of the producer, Franz King, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.